Chords, 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 chords. Oh, pod, pod, oh, oh, pod, oh, 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 guys, 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 God, help, help me. Oh, it was worth it for the reaction. Honestly. I'm not helping you on that. No, I didn't expect you to. I expect you to have some other snarky thing to say, like you usually do. No, I want to move on and forget this ever happened. I'm, See, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, no, no. Now it's gonna be done. Explain the reference. So I. uh... I'm a fan of Patent Pending, a really great band, and I'm good friends with the lead singer. Well, I'm acquaintances with the lead singer, Joe, uh, Joe Ragosa. And he posted on his Tumblr today, Baja Men's Who Let the Dogs Out. Um, and I thought to myself, a while ago, I wanted to go back and find crappy, cheesy, lame 90s bands and see if they had new work and review the new work, because it would probably suck. In that Lark fashion, we were on Spotify pre-podcast, and I was like, well, let's see if the Bahamas have anything new. They probably don't. And lo and behold, as of like a week or two ago, they released a brand new track called Night and Day. And it's the worst, cheesiest, textbook, horrible song you will ever hear. Uh, it's hilarious. That's No, you're building it up a little bit too much. That's true. It wasn't... It's actually mostly painful. It's more but, like the most bland. That, yeah, like, it's if, you, if you could really emphasize bland and make that a strong adjective, yeah, you know, instead of the weak adjective, it would be it, it would be ironic if they were being Put, ironic and not sincere. Right, bland, but italicize it. That's yeah. it. That's I what don't know. It is. I don't know. Actually, bold it does not suit bland because it clearly all. made an impression. And yes, that inane intro you heard is the song almost verbatim. But I want to, I want to get a word a day calendar that only has negative adjectives, so that every day I'd have a new adjective to describe that song with. That would so discredit us. <laughs> it, would. No, it would make me feel bad. And if you're curious okay. about how terrible this song is, um, I posted on my personal Facebook as well as on the Crash Chords Tumblr page as of Monday night at 9 o'clock-ish. Um, so go check that out if you want to be bored. Um, moving <laughs> forward. I want to be subjected to misery. Also, I want to I boost the signal of my good friend and rapper, Adam Warrock. He... All of his studio-ish, all of his proper records that are studio releases, not the weekly stuff he does on YouTube, that are usually about 10 bucks on Bandcamp, for the next, I believe, week or so, are completely free. 100% free download, all of his albums. is to promote his new donation drive. He does it every year. He's giving away free music to get people to donate to his cause in the coming weeks. So go check that out. Download his latest album, The Middle of Nowhere. It's probably my favorite record record he's put out so far, and it has an intro, um, a spoken word intro by James Urbaniak of Venture Brothers fame, he, who does the voice of Dr. Venture, which is very interesting. That's pretty cool. Really? I notice a lot of people cool. are doing this yeah. nowadays. It's uh, actually really cool. Just releasing, you know, say for a while, all my stuff will be free and whatnot. And yeah. that goes outside of artists. Also, you know, Sirius XM Radio, they're doing that now. It's so to like promote... The, if you have a car and you've never thought to pay for Sirius XM, which 
I haven't certainly, <laughs> then they're going to be giving those people those stations so that they might decide in the end, I'm going to keep that around. Well, well the uh, theory... No, no. There are a bunch of authors that do that as well. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Corey uh, Doctorow, uh, has released a bunch of books specifically for free to download because he Related just wants... to E.L. Doctorow? No. Oh. Doctorow? Okay. Yeah. The, no, the... no, it's the same Doctorow. The, the theory is if Much you give famous, some of it away for free, they'll come back for the stuff they have to pay for. Exactly. It doesn't always work. Some people are just out to get a free thing. Cable networks do it all the time. But my theory with promoting this is since it's a donation drive for a good cause, go check it out. Also, because I don't remember if we actually mentioned this on the podcast, Reading Rainbow is doing a Kickstarter. They reached a million dollars on the first day. It's effing Reading Rainbow. They want to bring it to the schools that can't afford it. They won't have to pay for it. They're trying to raise as much money as possible for a brand new Reading Rainbow. I know it's not music related, except the theme song was amazing. Please go check that out. Reading Rainbow Take and LeVar Burton are amazing. Support, Support anything that. that was ever associated with PBS. Pretty much. I think that is important to this podcast, yes. <laughs> considering uh, how we operate here. Um, so. But yeah, so definitely go check out our War Rock stuff. Definitely... If nothing else, check out the newest record, The Middle of Nowhere. It was It's definitely a good listen. While we're on this little topic here, before we dive into the meat of the matter, though, I, I do want to return to something you were saying before. The concept that, an, that a musician would do that same thing and sort of say, all right, all my stuff is free for a little while, that is somewhat new to me. I never really heard that being done before because technically, you know, unlike... Unlike a TV network, which can continuously offer you stuff, you know, they're not going to lose anything by just the the amount that they happen to give you during that time period. That's one thing. But for a musician, they can be exhausted of their work, in which case, why would someone come back? The theory is, because most musicians actually don't make a ton from record sales or from touring ticket sales, they make most of their money from merchandise sales and a lot uh, Adam Warrock especially a lot of the people in the nerdcore crowd have great nerdy t-shirts with their name on it he'll if he gives the records away for free they'll come out to the next show he's in New York for example and then buy a bunch of his t-shirts and stuff also the theory is in this specific case if you get my records for free maybe you'll donate to my drive since you didn't have to spend money for my music I see so it's less really just saying oh, okay here you can have my records it's more like banking on them becoming a fan right yeah honestly well i mean fan, loyal and true in, in the band i talked about a few weeks ago malibu shark attack um who are constantly gaining more and more ground tribe one raps in one of the songs for now don't buy my record download it share it torrent it i don't care i'm not it's not about the money i want to i want you to love my music so when i come out on tour you see me you know that's so sweet it's i want to see you guys really Really? Much, that's I want to have a beer. Um, so yeah, so check that out. Um, yeah, James Urbaniak does a whole spoken word thing. It's about a minute and a half long as the, as the intro of the album. And he's looking directly at me. I'm not exactly sure why. Don't you love the Venture Brothers? Yes, I love the Venture Brothers. I believe I'm the only one here up to date on the Venture that's Brothers. That's true. I haven't watched in like a few seasons now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Come All on, right. Brock Sampson's awesome. He is. He's the reason I watched um, Steve, why don't you tell us about the album you chose this week? All right. This is my pick. Chad Van Gallen. He is from Calgary, Alberta. Is it Vangelin or Van Gallen? I've been saying Vangelin for a great many years. I do believe it's Van Gallen. Okay. Um, but Vangelin is kind of easier on the tongue. It has a really nice ring to it. Chad Vangelin. Kind of like the nice... Can we call him Chad? On the album? I, I will be referring to him as Chad, uh, not to be too personal, but just for precision's sake throughout this podcast. And the album's called... Shrink Dust. So, 
Little history on Chad Van Gallen. I misspoke last week. He is an entirely solo musician who writes and records nearly all of his own work in his Calgary recording shack. He is from the Canadians. Now, I did see him in a South Street Seaport concert once where he had some support, but that's only because of the inherent performance difficulties and actually handling everything yourself when you're on stage. You run the risk of sounding thin. But mostly, that doesn't scare him. And other times, it's not even the case. Usually, he favors a more pared-down style, but he's always employing these explosions of power and color, as I got back on his 2005 album, Skeleton Connection, which I adored primarily for that reason, but also for its diversity of tone, uh, its playful demeanor, and a sense of exploratory scrapbooking. Which is why it's certainly an album that I'd uniquely defend for its lack of what we would call a traditional theme, because it's supplanted it with an outstanding musical arc. But off of that, he truly is a one-man band, even going so as, far, so far as to build some of his own instruments. His shack is actually really more of a workshop. He's dabbled in electronica. He's his own album illustrator. Yes, all the album art covers, that's his own work. And he's also an animator who's released several music videos uh, to his own drawings. So yeah, I generally find that there's something for everyone in Chad Bangalin. He covers all bases while never really straying too far off the mark that you can't identify it's him. So you just gotta get on board with that voice of his, which is a nearly permanent falsetto with a sort of quiver that Matt interestingly referred to as a warble, and I really like that phrasing, um, which personally I think always sounds a bit terrified. Yeah, I can His see manner that. of singing. It's, it's, it's something I noticed from the very beginning. Not that you're necessarily terrified with, with him, but it, it's the only word I could really attribute to his style. I can't, I can't compare it to anyone else's. Just comment quickly on the thing you had said before about how even though he's a, most, he's a solo artist, he played with a band when he was live. That seems to be the case for a lot of these one-man bands, as we've reviewed. And that's only sometimes. In the yeah. past, he has performed. Oh, just acoustically uh, That was just the, the case in which I was, I was uh, at And as concert. technology gets better, he could choose to play an instrument and then filter in the rest through a computer. Right. And actually, I caught him in an interview once where he claimed uh, that that's why he started doing what he was doing, because he kind of got bored with just playing a guitar on stage. Yeah. You know, being that guy at the coffee shop that, you know, it's kind of how you start out. It's a nice, easy way to start out. Guy, guitar. Yeah. That's all you got. But how much can you really expand from that? Which is why back in college, he started working with uh, repairing instruments. And that's how he kind of stepped it up into building some of his own instruments. And that went into what he does today, which is, frankly, a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, I guess this is a good point to jump off into the first track, huh? I believe it is. So this one's called Cut Off My Hands. Um... And it's obviously the first track on the record. Uh, the first thing you easily notice about him is he's a unique vocalist. Um, As we said. <laughs> yeah. He, the, this, this interest, it's this interesting thing that not a lot of artists we've listened to or reviewed have this almost perma falsetto. Most of them go into falsetto. They'll even sing, bar, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine bars in falsetto, but not the whole song. Whereas Chad pretty much stays in falsetto the whole song. You know, I think I would actually call him somewhere between an alto and a falsetto. Because his singing say, range is definitely higher than tenor. But it, it's, it could be either like a mid-slash-alto, but yet the resonance there almost... You want to believe it's kind of a falsetto, but I believe it's just his average, his regular singing voice. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> at a certain point, you can't even call it falsetto anymore. It, that really mark uh, defines a dramatic shift, which he doesn't do. He's yeah. there. He's in that range. Um, this song starts 
in a more or less kind of expected folk way. Um, you in get the, your guitar. Yeah, in the in the beginning, it's it's guitar, it's vocals. There's it's some a percussion. very delicate guitar. Yeah. I think that's another thing I would really define about his work, which I personally think separates him from a lot of other folk musicians out there. I don't know, maybe it has something to do with being very deep in the recesses of, of Calgary or in Canada in general. But, you know, at least as far as his older work is concerned, and certainly for the front end of this album and most of what he does, he's not really what I would call a, a, a traditional country folk artist. He has his own brand of it. It is somewhat born out of the indie uh, craze of sort of the mid-2000s and whatnot. So he's got quirky ideas, quirky choices, and it kind of goes into the other instruments. But yet, it's true the guitar is probably the safest thing about him. Yeah. I mean, but he builds around it, which is why it's kind of... There's where the uniqueness comes from. The guitar is more a, a statement creator as opposed to a melody machine. It's there just to, for, for the most part, it, it, it does a lot of work accenting his own vocals as opposed to working with the percussion, working with the cello that comes in in the song, working with the synthesized clarinets or flutes or piccolos or variety of things he uses in this album. The guitar is just there. Percussion specifically. I mean, a lot of times it's just a rhythm guitar and... You know, it's still delicate, and a lot of times it also has to do with the, the effect he places on top of it. That gives it somewhat somewhat of an edge that I don't think we, we can really ignore. Um, so I hesitate he, to call it When he wants plain. to go with that edge, he tends to go with an electric guitar to complement whatever is going on, and he still keeps the acoustic going. Well, the, the edge hmm. also comes from, and let's get rooted back into the song, really comes in about 30 seconds to a minute of this song. There's a sound bite that comes in that's almost distracting um though seemingly intentional to kind of bring you out of this kind of sound and take you somewhere else but it's almost a jarring kind of sound but i don't even know really how to describe the sound it makes but it's layered over the whole the the whole of the song at this point well in 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 talking about that transition right there i mean I, i think it has to do with something that you that you come out of and that is yeah the general vibe that, yes, we've been talking about the guitar is safe and all that stuff, but it, it's the tone of it is kind of contentment to me at first. But it's something that's almost so content that it's it's almost sad. One might call it, like, intentionally passionless in the very beginning here, like staring at, like, a stage scene backdrop or something with no actors. But then the chorus steps in, the voice is a little bit deeper, it's also thickened out by another voice, which is also him, and I, I would say this maybe seems to be the first case of a foreshadowing here because this is where that soundbite steps in. And it's, it's something that I can uh, kindly refer to as, as dying cats. It's a, That's it's kind. Like a yowl. Almost like a yowl. Uh, the word I would I wanted to use. No, but it's I... like it's not like a yowl. That sounds too forceful. It's like overlapping murmurs. Mm. Okay. It's uh, I think I'm using this word wrong. So, please correct me, but a whorl. And I don't think that's actually a word about auditory, but it's about a visual uh, aspect. Because listening to this music, Cut Off My Hands is a great example of this metaphor I'm about to throw out there. You take a cup of water and spin it. Or a jug of water and spin it. Spin the water. Actually have that current going around and around. You get a little bit of that whirlpool. That's his guitar work, his vocal work. 
When he starts taking these sound bites, it's like dropping in that little dash of food color. It hits, it splashes, it creates an effect, and then eventually gets absorbed into his major theme work. And then he'll dash in his reds, his greens, his browns, his blues. There's a lot of texture in his percussions and his electronica. But they really don't, they don't maintain the, the main backbone of his stories that he makes. They're still only kind of secondary pieces to what he does with his guitar. Even though the guitar tends to be kind of simple in a lot of places. Hmm. I mean, I don't think that's a bad point. Are you specifically speaking about that transition there? Well, not yes. even a transition. It's right. That's a wrong word. Yeah, because for it. it stays it's, throughout most of the song. Yeah, the groove is, a, if you want to call it a groove, is essentially the same, and then we just sort of add in that effect. But the effect, let's be clear here, it takes you away from the music. Yes. Right. It, it ta- changes what you're seeing. Right. And what you're and that's hearing. the color that you describe. That's what I'm talking your reds about. And, and, your blues. It becomes, and I think that is a very good way to describe it. It's still it. part of the song. Don't get me wrong. Now it's you know red water instead of just clear water, but it's still has that basis of that, that whirlpooling kind of effect. What I'll say also is, even though I'll openly admit I hated the sound, I felt like it took me too much out of the song. I wanted, I was struggling to hear the music underneath it. That said, something that we learned even as early as this song is that Chad is very good at stage setting. And he does it even more strongly in the songs to come. But in this song we get a sense of, he's all about setting scenes. And mm-hmm. this song does it on a more li- on a more uh, more open note, later songs feel more rooted in very distinct scene work. Yeah, here we have <coughs> him cutting off his hands and throwing them on the sand so that they can float away like bloody crabs. I mean, there's there is some symbology in his in his lyrical work that is. I don't know if campy is the right word. I just can't take it too seriously. Oh no, campy! Look, I see where you're coming from here, but no, campy. I wouldn't say campy. Hey, but I just this can't is what take I described back at, when I was talking about Skeleton Connection as his sort of playful air. Um, not playful in the same way we've referred to it in others. He's not flat out comedy here, but he has he has his little spin on things that is sort of his twist on the world, kind of like what you were saying. Again, I, a, I like that a idea smirk, of not a laugh. Exactly, like a pair of bloodied crabs. I mean, it's not something. It's not imagery that that would come to mind of the average person. To be honest, it also seems like it's a little bit through the eyes of of a a, a malformed mind. You might say. I can I can definitely get on with that, considering a couple of things he does, and one of the things he does, which I, yes, malformed is definitely a great way to put it. But that clarinet-ish guitar solo. You know, I was really most instri- intrigued by the instrumental that followed that solo. Although the that, solo that was, was the nice. guitar aspect of it. It was a. It started off as a synthesized, I guess, clarinet. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I want to almost say it was a clarinet. And by the way, we're a little between it being a clarinet or a saxophone here, but we're pretty sure it was a clarinet. In any case, it yeah, it steps in for this solo here. It's a very, it's a sweet melody. Everything is very major. For that reason, it was a it was a tad safe, and it was almost kind of just like an instrument that was present. But it does serve the purpose of countering that that disturbing murmur in the background, which I think is very important because it's kind of like the pain is fighting with the pleasure, and that's why for me personally, I I did not not like those murmurs. Like I know it's somewhat a grating sound, and Matt, you were not too down with it, but at the same for me, I, I I'm interested in this 
intriguing color layering, which I think John described beautifully, that he does right up front here. It kind of says, I'm going to be a little odd, and I'm going to present the world that I see through uh, misshapen eyes or through a distorted lens in some sense. Yeah. No, I can see that. And again, I don't, I don't think it's wrong or a poor choice. I just didn't personally like it, but I get what the goal of it was. Why well, I also got somewhat of a, a theme setter here. I, I, I enjoyed the fact, not just like pain fighting with pleasure. And again, we're referring to the, the, the clarinet solo going on top of those, those, that disturbing murmur in the background here, but it's more like life is fighting with, with contentment. Like the realities of life fighting with sort of this contented backdrop. Because you strip away that, that sound, and you have, yes, you have a very basic folk track. I mean, granted, we're describing just like little quirks about the, the guitar. Might have, might have a little more reverb or something here and there. But in general, you're talking about a very basic folk track. It's the murmurs that gives it that distorted essence. It, so It gives the song polarity. a character. Right. It gives it the, uh, the character through its polarity. Yeah. So... I, I guess that takes me in, if we're, if we're done with this section, well, to... No, no, to, no, no, no. Oh, no, not about the song. The... Not about the song. I want to move into the instrumental that follows that yes, solo really quick. Yes, the counterpoint to that clarinet was it's that a, it's plucky an expansion. guitar. It's an ex- yeah, plucky yeah. is an interesting word for it, because, first of all, the murmurs drop off here. They drop yeah. off sharply, and everything becomes a lot more beautiful. It's, it's, it's an interesting concoction, actually. I believe the clarinet takes a back seat, but might still be there, but sort of stepping into a higher register, while... I think a very heavily patched electric guitar takes the front seat and somewhat echoes the previous clarinet melody. But you have competition here and yet harmony as well between that and the back seat clarinet. I wouldn't even say that it somewhat echoes. It's It really is doing... It sounds kind of the same to you. It, it, it sounds almost exactly the same. Right. Uh, just but in what is unique, though, is that it, start, it changing starts wailing. Chords. That's what's yes. unique about the guitar it starts, here. It starts falling apart on it. It starts really going into a more discorded nature. Well, discorded is an interesting word because it's still something that's somewhat familiar. It, it reminds me of the kind the of thing that you would that get. Point. It, right, it is fighting with the backdrop, but it's something you might get on a country album. Like, yes. You know, the kind of wails that is commonly placed on, I'm talking about like a, a guitar, an instrument, like a voice that's wailing, you know, crying out. In sort of a longing way, but still a sweet way. You find that a lot in uh, in country music. The kind of thing that you might get when two fingers are, str- are sliding along uh, the strings on a, on a violin or a fiddle sort of while you're bowing, this sort of combo double-stop glissando. It has that same effect, but it's clearly done here with a guitar instead of You had me up until double condo... Double-stop glissando. Playing two strings at once, essentially, but also sliding. Okay. That I can visualize in here. Bang. I like the term. That's a a nice mouthy term. It has that ring to it. Okay. This, This guitar here, I felt. And that takes us into the final chorus, where, um... I believe an electronic tone steps in, and mind you, we are at the tail end of the song here. This sort of electronic tone steps in that sort of implies that the song is about to take a darker turn, especially on that final pivot chord, meaning like the penultimate chord here, at which point it just pivots back home. And then ends. And ends. That's it. That's the end of the song. You really expected to get like a whole another, another like 
nine yards there or something, right? And with the exception I, of the next couple of songs, this is a pattern that we see throughout the rest of the record. The songs are on the shorter end, between two and a half and three and a half minutes. Yeah, I actually recall some some Skeleton Connection tracks that were in the minute range. They were um he's he's a synced guy and a lot of that's what I referred to earlier on as uh, uh exploratory scrapbooking. Well, and also the way his songs seem to be designed, if he had over-elaborated, it would get repetitive, so he's kind of very much to the point, knows how to write exactly very precisely. So he's the opposite of last week's Swans. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Uh, Grateful that for it. Duality. Hey, be nice. So, nope. I um, actually so, listened to that album. It, was, it stands up. Nope. Go figure um, that you brought us the uh, the the wordy one. <laughs> I'm bringing you succinct, unbelievable. So we'll move on to track two. Where are you? Question mark. So I I really like this song, especially for the the front half of the album because it really gives you a sense of character for both Chad and for his music. This song. It, it, at first, I thought it was a hollow sound, but it actually turns to tends to sound once the percussion kicks in and the guitar layers and he starts to sing. It almost gives you this feel of searching through tunnels, like a lost in tunnels kind of feel, like a giant sewer system shouting down an empty tunnel. You know, we discussed this before, and now now that you mentioned it, I I realized there actually is a, a setting um, in in some. Uh, Engine like in Pro Tools or on basically any engineering uh, sound to engineering sound like table where you can actually exactly it's uh it's it's somewhat of a compressor compressor but uh, it might be the gate or something else again I'm a little hazy on the terminology here but it's it could very well be that that's uh that's being doing layered this on top of this but I think it lends to beautifully set a scene very quickly in this song some songs take some time to build and set a scene you have to figure out what the theme is hear the lyrics understand the story this you've got the story in a minute regardless of why he's in these tunnels he's in tunnels and he's trying to find somebody well well i thought that this this was actually a a better presentation of what he's doing i have a little bit of an issue because i found that the the different musical instruments the different styles he was working with here were competing a little bit too much they were doing kind of the opposite of what i found in the first track they weren't trying to complement each other they were actually trying to i don't feel they were meshing but i believe it was actually by choice that they were supposed to have a kind of a competitive nature to one another i I vehemently disagree with you on this one i'm on board with steve i think i mean First of all, I thought it was very straightforward. I'm surprised you found any overlapping whatsoever. This was actually closer to the explosion of color that I was describing earlier. Granted, yes, it sounds very airy. That's what you were noticing. You kind of get that that hollowness of, of a tunnel. Yeah. Um, you get it using sort of a choir synth. So, yeah, granted, that's overlapping, but it was very harmonious, uh, combined with somewhat of a march-like drum pattern. That I guess the blend was only because one drum, what drum tone had sort of a clank to it, and that's why it kind of meshed with the hollowness. The clank almost sounded like a glass bottle, and yet the synth, that airy synth, still kind of implies that I'm outdoors. So my first thought actually was that it was a, a trash-filled alley on top of, um, granted, you thought tunnels, and I yeah. thought it was just sort of like bottles at some kind of, you know, repository. Grant, granted, still outdoors, but something about this felt felt very empty, which could be another way of saying hollow, but I mean that in a positive sense, yeah. just in terms of, of, of scene setter here. 
But now what's strange is that it also has a very majestic quality to it, because you can hear it in his voice, especially as it gets closer to the chorus, as he belts out that, where are you? And every single time he does that, it's just drop-dead beautiful. He actually has, in my opinion, more of a melodic center here, as I'm noticing just in these first two tracks, than he has had in his previous work. He's always had great melodies, but he was never such like a reach-out vocalist, where he was trying to establish beautiful, sweeping melodies. Here, when he hits his choruses, they've been fairly powerful so far at this point in the album. I was loving it at this point. Well, and what I also like about about the choruses specifically in this song is that tunnel feel that I was getting really comes to a head with the chorus because I almost like perfectly envisioned him running from sewer like sewer tunnel to sewer tunnel like you would see in like a Spider-Man movie or comic book when he's searching the tunnels for the lizard these giant hollow empty tunnels with waters running through underneath and just yelling down the tunnel where are you as if he's searching for someone who's lost it's funny about the blend of imagery that we're talking about right now because you mentioned you know searching through sewers and whatnot and it's funny how that even I know you're talking about the hollowness, but it's funny yeah. how that carries over into my visualization is as this being somewhat of a dirty production. Yes, yeah. I was about to say that yeah. there seems to be. I think that's mostly present in the uh, more electronica work he's doing in this. It's definitely not present in the more acoustic guitar work he's putting in here. Yeah, that actually uh, seems to act to complement his beautiful but forlorn. Definitely forlorn. That's right. one word you didn't use yet. His, his vocals are really meshing up to the setting he's building here. But that's where I want to say the competition is, is present. I want to go back to this. Because you're talking about one synth that's giving a, a nice sweeping melody that's working well with that beauty and that forlornness. But you're, the other side of the percussion is kind of clanky and you're using words like grimy and dingy and dirty to describe it. You're actually explaining this competition I'm hearing. You know, it's interesting because I, I thought of that as a blend in a, re in a weird way. I mean, but that's because I was able to attribute a setting to it. I was able to think you were in some sort of outdoor setting that is still grungy. Those two, those two things still exist. Yeah. Yeah, yes, true, but they Go to the are... Staten Island garbage dumping. You'll see. It clearly exists. But, but they are really antithesis of what the norm should be if you have a nice outdoor setting it should be clean if you're in a dump it should be a dump but you're combining these two ideas together okay well, in that to case i may very... have misinterpreted what you thought of before as competition yes they're co they're competing in a sense that i was able to find a setting but they are competing traditionally uh but yes. i did not think they were competing musically well it was just the because there was a little bit of a disconnect between the two types of percussion that were going on and his vocal work. I disagree. But, uh, I no, don't think... I disconnect in the way that they were a little bit at, at odds. He has something in his voice that is fighting against the setting. It, that It goes back just I to the lyrics. Just what but even his voice agree. can never be so... has never been so majestic that it is above that other thing. There's a dirty quality to his no, voice it's also. It's, it's in the there, warble. But... Uh, he is not of the setting the same way as uh, the percussion really is. I just don't agree. I think that everything in this song lends to the metaphor I'm finding in the setting that I've built. I don't think anything feels I, out no, of place. No, I agree. I agree fully. But I'm saying his character is something that is not supposed to be there. This is it's a fascinating too clean. discussion. Too but the clean. funny thing, the funny thing about this is that we can actually 
get some support on this because this is one of the only tracks in which I was able to procure the lyrics on. A lot of that, and we should say this disclaimer at this point, This we're going to be kind of dancing around theme here as we find it. For instance, I was able to sort of... I can infer quite a bit... A good amount of theme just from music itself and from what we can what we can pick up on. But some things are sort of clouded because of you know all the 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 effects that are placed on top of his voice. So sometimes you can't always pick up on lyrics. I was able to find the, this one uh, this one set though, and we have some interesting things here in the verses. She she shakes her feather hand. I count the days that you've been missing. He flows through space away and feel this focus flame. It comes out slow as in the. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Our hands are spinning slow, the captain of its own. I hold it in my lungs and let it go. These mountains, creators of a realm, the paranoia is alive and well. Where are you? Where are you? Starting it's, to get a little bit? It's, it's, it's not meshing up. What I'm saying is, these vocal patterns and the lyrics are not meshing up with that real grungy world that the setting is be, has has created he is an outsider in this situation he's in it but not of it i think that's i guess is what i'm boiling it well down actually to. i mean yeah, i do believe that is supported here yeah. these mountains that creators of a realm of the paranoia is alive and well i'm not saying that i wasn't actually arguing yeah, yeah. what you I were saying i understand what you're saying i was i found something more there i really yeah. do enjoy this song yeah i really do i think that this is one of the strongest settings in the whole record, and there are others too, but this is definitely one of the strongest. Let's talk about one other thing here. Another reason we get sort of a dirty uh, production quality over this song. You almost said dirty projectors. <laughs> almost, yeah. almost. Episode 40, check them out. Fun thing. There is not a clear Western tonality going on in this song. I mean, granted, no. yes, of course, there's a, there's a stand... I mean, it probably does follow, you know, theory and whatnot, but of course, we're not really on on a note here per se we're on a quarter tone a semitone as they call it somewhere between a c and a c sharp the the tonality is somewhere between those two notes and i would be so bold even though none of us here have perfect pitch and most people in the world do not have perfect pitch i i would posit that we have listened to music for so long now in our lives that there is you will know you will be able to tell that it is not quite so that, that it's not quite exactly off. what yeah, it is sure there's so many songs in C, for instance, that that is ingrained in us so much that you can probably tell this is just a slight bit above. That's that's ingrained. It's just it's it's something I'm theorizing. I, I have no proof to that effect, but it for me personally that was able to sort of throw me a bit. I don't have perfect pitch, but I was able to hear that at a glance and I confirmed it. So, again. I have to wonder about the mind of a person who would just decide, I'm not going to do it on a note. <laughs> I'm going to do it a little bit in between two notes. Well, we've already discovered with song, track one and track two, there's no shortage of quirk with this. <coughs> yeah. With this, uh, with this musician. And the song kind of wraps up with... It, I, I have one more thing to discuss just before we, we wrap up here, and that is the second chorus. Because it does fill out as it goes. We're joined... I think in the second chorus, by the impression of an orchestra, sort of stepping in in the background. Yes, where it, it was starts a little bit with more of a deeper tone. Yes, uh, the strings side of the uh, orchestra. Again, we're but, talking but they about they were really muffled, real muffled. This very well may be synth. In fact, I'm I'm going on a limb that it probably is synth. But yeah, mm. we we I interpret in that way because of the way it's delivered. Beyond that, 
I, I noticed that that was sort of stepping in on more of a, a, a Mixolydian. And again, that's Mixolydian within that C uh, slash C sharp realm right here. So I thought that was an interesting choice, just for the fact that, again, it sets it a little bit off of center, off of major. So if you see that nice, big, happy, airy world that we were originally in as a nice major tone, which was pretty good at conveying that, then we've just made something a little askew. And I think that, again, goes back to this competition that John is finding, and I'm slowly starting to find, but I still think it supports the piece. I agree. I will not, I will not argue against that. Um, and, and it really wraps up with this you, this warble in his voice that we've really come accustomed to. The way he... We're we'll elong- warbling all night, get used to it. <laughs> the, the, the elongation of the chorus and the elongation of his enunciation of these words... Because his choruses, and you'll see this as we get more through the album, tend to be on the simpler side, wordiness-wise. They, you know, they tend to be between five to, you know, five to, one to five words, and ten but, syllables tops. But he'll elongate the syllables and focus on them, and he does that here as the song wraps up. Um, moving on to another song that's really set well and it's where you really start to get a sense of his staging in music and there isn't always staging in a lot of the albums we've listened to but this one is another one it's called frozen paradise and within seconds in the beginning you get this kind of feel of this almost frozen tundra well see that's the beautiful thing about titles is you can't really ignore it once it's been written right you make a title and then all of a sudden you're looking for it immediately and I said the same thing. My mind was sort of steered as a result of that, ti- of that title, and I was able to find it. I first he had the f- guitar. Well, no, no, I, I will. I will say one thing. I did not know the title of this track. First thing that came to mind: kaleidoscope. Like just like harsh light. More than anything else. Hmm. Well, that's actually not a bad observation considering about the was, actual content immediate, here. immediately became crystallized ice i mean that's just where the metaphor went but it started off as just like shafts of colored light shafts of colored light i like that that's interesting yeah the same time here I, I i find this to be one of the most brilliant cases of actually of actually establishing that that mood because of the fact yes. that the instruments really don't imply that or, or rather, you'd be hard-pressed to think of that off the top of your head, that those instruments are going to form this setting. Because what you get here is sort of a, you know, again, that heavy re- reverb guitar that he's pretty accustomed to at this point. Maybe a little bit of echo thrown in there as well. And then you're accompanied by yet another one of his very bizarre sound bites. This percussion sets in that has almost the resonance, resonance of, of crickets and bullfrogs. I thought it was kind of funny considering how those were actually really subtropical sounds and this is called Frozen Paradise and yet that rhythmic setting in which they were placed I was still able to get the stillness that you infer from a frozen wasteland or rather paradise because it still did, did seem very uh very positive in general. I was getting a very positive vibes throughout this track. Yeah, it didn't which seem is why, desolate. Yeah, I I'm accustomed to saying Frozen Wasteland at this per, at this point but you know what? It was a frozen That's, paradise. Yeah, which is actually not a bad way to... to I mean, first of all, he's from Canada. For, <laughs> maybe that helps. Yeah. I mean, if you're from Canada, obviously, it's home to you. A lot of people don't like the cold. I do like the cold, so I see exactly where he's coming from here. 
What anyway. I really, what I really like also is as he builds the song, even with his singing and some of the ways that the instrumentation comes in. It we'll bu- get there. I don't want to move into the part B quite yet okay. here. But just rhythmically here, because there's this is a very bracketed track. In fact, I think it's one of the most unified tracks he has ever written. Uh, in terms of, of, of flat-out delivery. A lot of times, he can be somewhat of a, of a scatterbrain. Again, I said I like that about uh, Skeleton Connection, the 2005 album, but scatterbrain is, is not even present here. It's his interesting ideas, but inserted within a much larger form. I, I want to say maybe this is about a five-minute track. Uh, yeah, at least 420. It was five. Yeah, that's long for him. Yeah, and, especially on this record. Right. So let's just talk about the natural progression here. We've got the end of that of that intro, which again, rhythmically, it's very interesting because like those overlapping crickets, overlapping uh, bullfrogs. And it was in general, at least, at least, yeah, no, it wasn't actually. Those were very concise, like staccato, mm-hmm. um, because like almost every one of at least one of them strikes every every sixteenth note, and when they meet, it's perfect harmony, and the cricket sort of chirps out for the duration of maybe three sixteenth notes, and then sometimes the bullfrog sort of rips out for three of those 16 in its own right. So it's kind of a duet within a very even structure, if seemingly random at first. So then, that burst forth, and this is what I would like to call the refrain of this of this song, which is purely instrumental. The refrain is a very, very interesting muffled guitar melody. And at first it has the air of a solo, but it's sort of a rambly solo, which I like, because I like extensive melodies, and it sort of does a thing where it just rings out, it, it does its thing, it has its phrase, and then it rings out on the D longingly before retorting with an opposing or a more of a retrograde phrase. And then that's the end of your refrain. It might repeat that once, I, re- I forget, but that's about it. And then from there, we move into the proper verse, which is very misty, like you're being gently sprayed, it's just washing over you, these very pleasing tones. You're in F major throughout this, and it's just it's, it's a nice setting. And then we move into the really interesting section. I think that's what we all want to talk about here, the what I'd like to call the certifiable part B. If you interpret most of this as somewhat of a ternary form, A, B, A, with the colorful intro and refrain, the A as your verse, and the B as your chorus. And this is where it takes off, and it's... Majestic beauty. I'll let someone. I'll let someone chime in here before I say my piece about this section. The heartbeat of this song is in the guitar. It's purely in the guitar because that is the only thing that remains static throughout this whole song. It doesn't. It doesn't wander too far from where it sets its uh, first statement, as Steve put it. But it does add a little bit of color. But it's the safest part of the whole song. This is what parallels the voice. This is what parallels the lyrics. This is what you can rely on. It's the infusion of the odd tones, the odd percussions, the odd electronica that truly creates different levels and different snapshots of the scenery that's going on here. It's what really drew this song to me. And it's the reason why I love this B section. Because I relied on the guitar to keep me safe while everything else was going on. Well, I, I have two comments on what you said. Uh, number one, I'm starting to really see this guitar tie-in, now, now that I think back to it in retrospect. That, that's sort of what I'd like to call maybe a 50s-era guitar, or maybe like a 60s-era guitar. Uh, yeah, you're in the ballpark. It, it's a little bit tinny, 
Yeah. And yes, it still has the reverb and the echo. So it has, it's like, it's like a modern twist on that era of the electric guitar. And that is throughout this track. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's in the, it's in the intro, it's in the refrain and it's in the verse and it's still here uh, doing the, the primary chords here in this B section. Uh, the second thing that you noted was that there was electronica going on. Now that actually does not step in until the later part of this B section. But it's still it's still that's that major component of the B section. It's an element that steps in yes. which really starts uh, starts making everything much more uh, much more blurry. Kind of analogous to what he did in the first track with sort of stepping in with the murmurs. This is sort of the same concept. He steps in with electronica that's sort of wibbly wobbly kind of all over the place. But he's also doing it to his voice. And that's where a lot of it is coming from as well. He's really synthesizing his voice, messing with it. Oh, making... not in this section. This section, he was really just belting it as a melodicist. But Granted, there was be... reverb. No, there was still... reverb, yes, but that's about it. That just it's... adds air. But it became a little bit too hard for us to even follow along at points. We had a lot of difficulty with the lyrics in this song. You know what? That is true. And that is a shame because I would so much love to delve into these lyrics. But, well, but we're I not, we're not I was all not lost actually on impressed. It. I will put this out there. I was not impressed with a lot of the lyrics on this album. I was. This what this song particularly, I thoroughly enjoyed everything I heard. I personally am impressed with most of his lyrics because I like his turn of phrase and his odd outlook. Uh, but I will like to say there's something about this this refrain quality here in this B section which is very, very powerful. Which is why you still have to call it a chorus because it is a refrain in its own way. And it's along the lines of find it all, I can't turn it off like a drug, I can't turn it off. And I'm going to come back to this in, in, and speak about the music and the melody in a minute. Well, what I really like about this section also and that we really haven't even gotten to is that he uses the instruments to further show this scene that he's building. I mean, from the guitar work to the synth work, especially the synth and soundbite work, gives this air of wind across an empty plain. Like it's a like it's a paradise, but it's also a tundra around him. Yeah, it's open harsh. Space. It has a harshness to it. Yes, and that also comes across in the lyrics, which Steve was just talking about in that melody, really kind of drives home that imagery because there's a lot of imagery in this record very much so and also that that has to do something with with uh the big transition when we were coming from the verse because remember the verse is still very pleasant that's the nice happy f major verse and here it's pleasant but yet at the same time it's also a little bit nostalgic uh kind of what i described earlier here in the uh in the first track as something that's so content that it's almost sad that kind of thing. It's it's nostalgic. It seems to be in a very, a, a sort of a, a center. Like it's found its place, and yet it can't help but be a little bit nostalgic at the same time. So then, go forward to the B section, and it's like it just broke free out of all of that. It can't constrain it anymore. It can't be content. It has to break out, and that's where the lyrics really come in here strong in that refrain. I can't turn it off. That's that's powerful to me. That's well, yeah. viscerally powerful. Well, you had also said uh, at the summation of this song when we were listening to it that it was this contentment versus breaking new ground. This kind of breaking out of boring contentment to get to the next level. And this song really kind of embodies that. Yeah, I mean, there there are... Whenever he's completely content, there's always something that's just hanging above the horizon. And there are 
there are little foreshadowings that you can find, you know, throughout the album to that effect. Uh, I would I would call it something uncanny that occurs, just to just enough to distract you from the pleasantries. Well, yeah, and also something that we've already learned by the third track, and we'll even really get into a larger sense of it when we get to track four. Um, he doesn't stick to a single emotion. His tracks are a blend of feelings, emotions, and movements, and he kind of goes through them as the song goes. That contentment sometimes is an overlayer, but it's something to build from. It's never just enough, which but is the idea. But it's true. It's like but, the base. But, but yeah. the contentment actually is pretty. It tends to be the part of the song, in general. I think it's probably the most accessible part of the not song just for anyone. But just the general, and I'm not using the word beautiful. I'm using the word pretty. It's the prettiest. Uh, well, you know, I, it's funny because I actually interpret this B section as being pretty, but it's also much more passionate to me. And I'm going to get to that well, in, in just is, a second. What he does is he he shows passion is scary. Passion is dirty. Passion is dangerous. That's true. That's that's with a lot of the... And one of my favorite parts is when he cuts out to just the guitar. Because while the percussion is so important that he puts in there, it can be equally as important when he cuts it out. And I love that. That's true. Well, I, I should stop putting, putting it off here. There's, there's some things that I would like to explain about Part B that really, really get to me on, on, a, on a musical level. That, uh, frankly, I, I've... I've Never been able to get from uh, from Chad Vanglin's work before. Again, his his playfulness in the past has sometimes overshadowed the uh, the, the complexities therein. But this this he stepped <laughs> into a whole other game here. Chief thing that's happening here is that the second we get that B section, there's a very firm modulation here from F to B flat. But it's really B flat Dorian, and this is for the first time in the album. That didn't just intrigue me, but had me captivated. Because moving to B-flat minor from F is one thing, since the 4 chord has has really a lot of pull. But see, minor would just give it a whole nother tonality. I mean, what you have here is a case of mixing modes. Because B-flat Dorian is relative to B-flat to F minor. So it's almost like saying... It's almost like just staying on F. And doing sort of a parallel motion. Just sort of swapping between the major and the minor. But once you switch over, the bass, the bass here anchors you so firmly to that B flat that you have to accept the F minor scale as really more of a B flat Dorian scale, over which the melody is absolutely gorgeous. Again, this is as he's singing, I can't turn it off like a drug, I can't turn it off. And especially as he yells out that turn it off right there, his voice is just unrelenting in its drive to overpower the chords. And yet it's really driven by the main riff. The main riff is still the same guitar that ties the entire track together, but here the chords have shifted a little bit. Major four, that's the E major with the G in it that really drives home that Dorian tonality, then to the three chord and then to the one chord. Really decisive chord movements that make the arrival of the B flat minor all the more solemn and his vocal melody all the more passionate. In the course of this melody, he'll belt out the seven. That's right there on that turn it off belts out the 7 with the most passion, which forms the full B-flat minor 7th chord, and then the next phrase, he'll pull it down to the 4, lamentingly, forming a sus4, which has that sort of wannabe 11th chord quality to it. It's just gorgeous, and he slithers in and out of those notes like he's in some kind of a haze. I... <laughs> this, I was lost in this, in this moment, and frankly, it is the quintessential part of the album to me. It's actually a little bit of a shame that it is only 
Trek 3 at this point because it is so ultimate in a, in a sense. Okay, wanna be eleventh chord? I don't even know how to take that. <laughs> uh, chiefly because of the of the four that's there, the sus four. The, the if you lack You're all. You're not. No, this is not explaining it to me. Okay, fair enough. Well, then, for the listener, very quick, if you lack all the other chordal elements that compose an eleventh chord, and all you have is just that four, which would be the eleventh, it would be the same exact thing as the eleventh. But if you lack all the other elements that compose an eleventh chord, and you're just left with the root, the five, and maybe the four. And you call it a sus four, which is really just sort of a poor man's chord. eleven. You know that's how I like to think of it sometimes. Okay. But su- suspension <laughs> chords are always intriguing for that exact reason. Okay, we have to talk about one more thing as well. Certainly. The end of this track is probably the best part of the track for me, and that is the way not nearly everything cuts out, and you're left with. That, that single chord being strung out, and it is an incredible position to choose to end everything. It felt like the music was being torn away from me. It was amazing. Well, that's the thing that mm. he's been doing, even in the other tracks, is he doesn't just end a track. He culminates it. He finds a way to wrap the track without just fading out or cutting it out or ending sharply no, but he yeah, gave, of all of, he gave of all me the, the music no he gave me the music and he tore it from my hands when he when he cut everything but that final chord it was i he he stole it from I me. think that's a pretty sexy thing to do no he kind tore, of a tease it, and it was i put down the word tearing because that's what it felt like he was tearing it away well then it clearly this beautiful. imagery is is was very impactful oh i'm going to be talking about frozen paradise for a long time this year well, you know, even just considering that theme there and the lyrics that we were coming from uh, back in the sort of happy F major A section here, there there is this longing quality to that to that section that still seems seems grounded, and that's the frozen paradise that I think we're seeing right here. That the frozen paradise is some kind of state of stagnancy that can't be born. Right, the, the idea that this paradise that you love is frozen within time, within ice, within space, who knows, but it's frozen, and you want to break free of this contentment prison, almost. It's, a, it's very possible. I mean, we're looking, can I pick something nice? A frozen paradise, perfect-looking humanoids, we're all out of names, identically insane, our rotting little brains. It's just... There's, there's, there's somewhat, there's hatred in this, and yet the music doesn't convey it, and I like that that opposition as well. It's just, this is one of those songs that it's a shame it's so early on the record because there's more things to suss about theme and setting in this song than in a lot of the rest of the record. Um, to be fair, though, this is another thing I was able to pick out these lyrics very, very closely. Unless you sit and you do that throughout the rest of the album, we have to talk about much of the rest of the album is sort of just a, how does it, you know, how does it gloss over you, that kind of thing. Right. But admittedly, you gotta have some drive, you know, to really, like, write down lyrics and, and whatnot. Because this song gave me the drive. The music was there, which gave me that reason to and want to catching, know, well, to want to sing along with him during that find it all, I can't turn off, because of the melody that I just described ad nauseum. Well, you also, he doesn't futz up all of his words. He does enough to remain coy about it. You can hear... Two out of three words, two out of four words, and really get to it. And that's actually what he does in a lot of the songs. 
Um, I, I do think it's very interesting, though, that just to put up here at the end of this song, that eventually this song does go back to the same verse, and then he just kind of repeats. In other words, it didn't take. Yeah, that he ends up falling into the same trap anyway. Exactly. And lyrics here are, Maybe we can go where people living inside their dreams smoke a cigarette, laugh at magazines. So come on, come on, let's get high on other people's dreams, as it may seem we're floating in between them. This kind of being lost in this negative space. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I, frankly, I'm going to put it out there. The music here and the message is, is almost identical in, in desire of what we captured last week in Swans's, uh, um, I forget the track name, but it was definitely the last track on the first disc. That, oh, on the first disc. I don't remember the name of the last track on the first the disc. It's a very gorgeous uh, existential track that we all fell in love with. Yes. In a sense, this is, to me, the, almost the same exact thing, and with a much more beautiful touch to it. And with other better songs around it. <laughs> uh, moving on to track four, Lila. So this, from the get-go, from the very beginning, is a very rock and roll track. I called it uh, Strum for Fun. You know, it had a very strummy guitar you know, it was very, it from, felt very uh, folky plus southern rock. Yeah, yeah. But more like a classic that... folk riff here. I th- I mean, yeah, we feel we're definitely in the lines of like 60s, 70s folk definitely in this area. Completely unlike what we were just listening to. Yeah, um, which it was slow going, but actually, I I would I would say it was a little bit soothing in a way after the previous track. It wasn't as heavy either. It the, you know it was an enjoyable track. The verses had great metaphor and a good kind of feel to I it. I really liked you know, some of the lines here and they were a lot easier to pick out going back to his inability to leave his voice alone he he was very clear cut here and one of my favorite lines was you always were a quiet one burning slowly like a sleeping sun the quiet one yeah and you know what the funny thing especially considering those lyrics and even just the tone of this track, the funny that you mentioned the word forlorn before is, yes. uh, to describe a couple of previous tracks, and I actually caught a review on that stated that this track was the most forlorn track on the album. Well, it's got a couple of tropes in, in going his, for it. His or her opinion. It's, yes. it's got a couple of tropes. One, it's named after a woman. And so right there, there that, that's number one. So if you're going to take a forlorn just as the pining quality, yeah. But Two... The- significantly slower than the previous track and And i mean on a lot of levels and the third trope that it had that really supports that kind of forlorn feeling is the way the choruses were sang the choruses were sang in a crying out kind of style lila i like to call it a very earthy hippie quality earthy hippie i like that but but it's a trope you see in a lot of indie songs i listen to a lot of indie bands to name one of uh, the Lumineers who do this quite a bit when they're singing courses. Not necessarily just one word, but just a very kind of cliche, cry-out, sung chorus. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing in the sense that it was done poorly, because he still sang very beautifully. Oh, no, it was, it was, just, it was definitely drop-dead beautiful. But yes, I was kind of dubious. Was just, I was dubious about its tonal placement on the album. And also for the fact that this is where the dichotomy really stands out. His verses are very poetic and wordy, even at times, and beautiful. But his choruses can be so oversimplified. And sometimes it's a good thing, because he'll take the single word or two words and drag them out, as I had said before, but not in the case here. Lila was very kind of predictably sung. Still sounded beautiful, but 
was very familiar to things I've heard before. It seems to be uh, that seems to be a recurring thing as the album draws on because um, at th- at this stage, especially as as of the previous three tracks, I was I was for the most part very very on board with the choruses. But you're right, they they kind of take a little bit of a predictable predictable quality as they go on. Um, interesting thing about this track is that it does actually step away from the slow going nature in the very very middle it actually has a little bit more of a jogging quality too it kind of went double time for a minute and this is basically in the instrumental sort of right here in the middle but then we're pulled right back again so in a sense there's also this this ternary form itself and i i use ternary very very loosely only because a lot of times i notice that he does not do a verse chorus verse chorus he may just do a verse chorus verse in which case you do see it as an aba and and the chorus as being something that sort of embodies the album even though it may not be a refrain um and also it's very uh tied with the instrumentals sometimes sometimes the instrumental comes before sometimes it comes after you know that kind of thing um it still keeps everything very segmented which i do like yeah i just my biggest problem with this track is coming off of something the last three tracks that we'd heard this felt a little oversimplified in the chorus and it was a little disappointing it wasn't bad by any means it's our typical spiel that we'll give you when we're listening to an album like this wasn't bad but it could have there could have been a little more. It could have done a little well, more. I, no, no. I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't want too much more after a song like Frozen Paradise. I kind of did need to be on a, a cool bomb. down. I, I see, mean, I didn't mind I mean, being I on agree a cool with down, you in terms of the but choruses you can and whatnot. Still, but, but you can still... You can still slow it down and take it step back and not have a boring, predictable chorus. That was my biggest problem. See, that, but see, now that's I the don't thing. Find, I, wasn't, one, I don't find the, the Yeah, I don't find boring. the boring. A boring predict- is not the word I, I would predictable, use. Predictable, maybe. Yeah. But that actually lends to the, the, the less out there feeling I needed, the safer feeling I needed after Frozen Paradise. This was familiar, and that made it... It made it soothing. It also also had familiar soothing transitions on top of that. For instance, when it steps out of that that sort of uh, jogging instrumental in the middle, um, we return to that sweet falsetto of his right afterwards with that line that you pointed out, John, "You you were always the quiet one. And everything gets so silent at that point. Right, we're right back to that slow march that we had in the beginning. So see, again, granted, the verses like really that's your only problem with the song, and it's really my only problem too. Is that the verse? The, the, excuse me, the chorus sounded a little bit tropey. Yes. Because I, I'm I'm a little bit tired personally of yes the gather round come sing along we're gonna you know it, there sounds like there's so many voices that it's uh they're gonna go into kumbaya in the very next track it's that kind of thing that I'm a little bit tired of but that's only one element of this otherwise very sweet song. Yes, the song is very sweet. Boring is the wrong choice of words. I think I'm just personally bored by the tropey fun sing out chorus. I've had enough of it. But that said, it doesn't make the song boring. The song is still enjoyable. I just wanted a little more from the Well, chorus. perhaps we were going to be harsh on anything, you know, after yeah. the previous track. So that's, 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 that's just what we do. I do want to point out one thing, and there was a little thing about this track itself. And that is, there's one line. Uh, a million gemstones falling down our stairwell. That is not verse, is not chorus. It's actually really beautifully spaced. It is a single line that's just sitting out in the middle of the bridge, I think, like a bridge section, all by itself. And it was really moving for me just to get 
that simple statement yeah, between no. everything else. And you're right. You know, frankly, in the lyrics of the chorus, even if you overlook the fact that it's, you know, uh, chorusy in in the most uh, uh, generic way possible, the lyrics themselves, what is being sung, is very still beautiful. And yes. I frankly, it makes me understand this uh, reviewer's, I, I, I can't recall... Uh, the, the name to reference it, but the reviewer who referred to this as, as a forlorn song, as one of the most forlorn, you can kind of see that, especially in in, in one line uh, in the chorus there was also we are so done. You know, yeah. this is sort of a way of Lila, it's not just pining at this moment, or excuse it's, me, we, we were so done. Yeah. That was the line. Excuse me, the were is kind of an important thing to imply that there's <laughs> it's sort of a, um, a, a dubious aftermath. Yeah. Back in the habit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that more or less the, 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 it's a common complaint with this song, but doesn't ruin the song for anyone. Um, weighted Sin? Not Weighted. I keep saying Weighted. Weighed, yeah. I, weighed, I wrote it down as Weighted, too. Weighed Sin. I weighed by something. This song is where we start to get a sense that he likes... He does a thing that a lot of artists that we review do, and for better or for worse, it's a common thing that artists do now, especially solo artists, where they uh, they straight up genreify their songs. And this is the first time we really get a sense of that. This track from the moment of it, it starts is pretty much a country track. Um, it doesn't really deviate at any point. Um, it's more natural sounding. I mean, it's not overproduced or anything like modern country is, but it, it, it definitely has a twang to it. It definitely feels like a country song. And that's yeah. all in the guitar. No, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. In the back of my head, I'm, I'm thinking, especially as a personal fan of Chad Bangalin, I, I, it's hard for me to come in without a bias. I was a little disappointed. Yeah. I know him as a, as a fearsomely unique artist in his own right. Yes, he definitely has country origins. He has folk origins. But as many other mid-2000s indie artists did, they had a way of sort of breaking out into their own brand such that they couldn't even be really linked with any def uh, with any certainty back to country you had to sort of treat them in, in their in their own category and that was certainly Chad Vangelin in fact uh, he was especially um, of, of Canadian artists with which there are many uh, in that field he was referred to I think by one reviewer as as the most unique so yeah, it was disappointing for me for him yeah. to sort of, sort of do this step back. As you were just saying, it is definitely common. It's commonly done that artists revisit their roots, and I don't doubt that country is a, is a strong part of his roots. And it's not like he's you know going so deep back into the roots that it has no character to itself. It's it's still a very very beautiful song and I have I do have many positive things to say about it but I do have to say that right up front I I wanted I didn't want to be this at ease I said it partially with the trope in the last track and I'm moving a little bit I'm being a little bit more harsher in the case of this I kind of want what I got more in the exposition of this album which we're slowly dwindling away from and he lost a lot of the mystique in his lyrics the, mm. the it's very the metaphor is also a little bit on the tropey side as well. It's it's as we talked about predictability of verse course verse course kind of a situation. Here the exposition on weighing your sins and finding their weight gets a little bit overdone. That aside, the vocals were were once again gorgeous and because it was less complicated 
musically, they really got to shine a little bit more than they had previously. Oh, see, now they're the th- that's the thing. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It sounded okay. like I was going to disagree. I agree with you. The vocal work in this track is probably some of the best he's ever done in terms of pure vocal skill. I don't mean that in terms of it's my the most captivated that he's ever done. Because a lot of times, and we proved this uh, on many occasions, simply by doing something unique but not necessarily uh, uh, vocally phenomenal will often trump the thing that is vocally phenomenal. But here... Uh, I gotta give it props because it, he reaches some of these high notes that, frankly, I never really knew he could reach. He's whether it's his falsetto or whether that's, he's actually stretching his alto. I'm sufficiently impressed in this track. Right, but we're getting also getting to a point now where it's kind of like the sky is blue. He sings really well. Like what else uh, is there? I no, can't no, be that no. harsh. You not got, for I mean, this voice. Not no. for this voice. No, no, well, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is great. He sings well, and that's a good part of this track. But what else is there here? And well, that's what we really have to look at, is what else, is, where, what's in the music. All right, and there are some I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at some of those things right now. First of all, let's be fair here, now that we've just been harsh, let's be fair. He's going country, yeah, but this is not so deep in country, as I just said before. This is actually kind of like country meets post-rock. So in a sense, there is sort of a blend here. Yeah, it's not really the the Chad uh, Van Gallen that I'm familiar with at the moment, but it, he's inserting a little bit of that that guitar touch, that edgy guitar, um, and also the acoustic bass here. I think that was another really uh, powerful thing. Very very warm, very satisfying. I kind of felt like I really could have been on a plane right here. Like maybe I'm actually on the planes or something. I don't know. But that's that's country music for you, and granted, he fits that, but then again, they go in other directions. He's actually still doing what he does best, and that is setting the scene. So yes, this had a lot going for it outside of the little things that we might notice here that happen to pertain to a genre. He also is doing some things that he has done for the first time in this record. For example, his percussion primarily in the song was provided by a tambourine, not really anything else. There was no drum work there was no synth percussion it was mostly just tambourine as the backbone and it's percussion. that hair down under production that i still really like about him and it kind of makes his take on this on this shamelessly country track very tasteful to me right and he also does something that could be considered tropey for country music but he still makes it his own and actually does great work with it there's a harmonica solo that he does there's some more harmonica later in the album, but he does a nice harmonica solo. That while you think country music, you do think a lot of harmonica and on the planes. He does good good work with it, and it, it it's also something else to keep you engaged in the track musically, even if initially it seemed like it might not have gone somewhere. Or even if, conversely, the melody wasn't able to capture you, because for me, it did. Right. And for me, it's, it's I was still kind of leaving a positive uh, note with this track, because the melody sort of had me ignoring many of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. It really is some of the best vocal work I think he's ever done. He reaches incredibly high, and I think that his his quiver, or warble, as we're calling it, um, I think permanently at this point, uh, I think it actually has a little bit more control than usual. Not not that I ever winced at, in, at all at his former rawness. Um, in fact, I would I would merely call this a controlled, mature extension of that same rawness. Yeah, and it definitely comes across. I mean, the singing is definitely the standout in this track, and it's what I think unanimously we're agreeing is our favorite part of the track as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. But we, yeah, and we also agree we like the verses better than the choruses, but that's, again, 
that's it's sort of the same as the last track, and yeah. that and may we're gonna come see, up again. Yeah, we're going to see Actually, that in other places, I think that's going to come too. up again right yeah. now in Monster. So Monster, to start, kind of had me giggling in the first 30 seconds, even though... I love the... I, I, I laughed throughout this whole song. Well, Internally, see, but I I mean, I, it wasn't a comedy track by any means, but there's a wah-wah kind of sound effect that's at the very beginning in the intro that's you almost have to laugh at, because it just seems so bizarre and silly but but it it's it's building into something in the rest of the song that helps give the instrumentation in the song even in the first minute this kind of trudging monstrous feel oh this especially the, is, the rhythm guitar here yeah, yeah, has yeah sort of a that, very almost like a laborious brush stroke on top of it and that really uh conveyed the, the trudging nature of this track to me as well very and, rural percussion, though, also. I still don't think we've stepped away from, from country at all. Uh, and even the melody, again, seemed to harp back to the more classic uh, country-slash-folk style, which I was a little dubious on. Uh, but granted, we have something else to look at here. Yeah. In this, in this case, that rhythm guitar does a good job of taking the airy, smirky nature of everything else and saying, yeah... Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, but you it's still dangerous. Yeah. And and you get a sense of that even in the verse work. I, again, I don't have any specific lyrics written down. I uh, know this one I do. But John this does have. Do. But the verse work does deliver the be- this beautiful poeticness that you've already come to expect from his verse work. But it's very smirky. Very smirky in this case. One of my favorite lines from this song. And my fingers have shriveled and dropped to the dirt, and two giant talons have grown where they were. I'm starting to think I will never return to my previous form, which I can't quite recall. And then for one of the the coolest things he does vocally, but I'm not hungry at all. And when he says, at all, whoa. Just whoa. <laughs> all right, let's go back to the same word. It's all said. That's the warble. That is the yeah. warble that we've been talking about throughout, but... This is like, you know, there's got to be that moment where he just kind of shows off that talent. I feel like this is the, his thing that he can do that no one else can do. <laughs> because I, I, again, have never been able to find another but, artist but music, that has that quality to it. And yes, this is like the ultimate point in the album. The music is, is reproducing what the lyrics are doing. Which is, they're kind of... Oh yeah. That they're is, kind of grandiose. They're kind of like, oh ha ha ha. Well that's because of the metaphor that's here. He's describing this this thing he's experiencing and going through almost like becoming a monster we've all felt that way we've all felt like we're transforming into something we don't want to be this hideous creature that I wouldn't even go that deep it's in the lyrics I'm the not li- making no, this no the decision. lyrics are actually describing transforming going into a monster right they're blatantly saying I'm turning into a monster I'm growing scales and quills and sharp sharp teeth it's, go back. It's, go back to the lyrics. It's actually more along the Crash lines of the, of the scary where the wild things are. That's how I'm taking this. Ripping my eyelids a little bit wider are two prying hands that grew out of my shoulders, and I can't explain why, but it's hurting my eyes. Thick blackened quills springing out of my back, and there's a hair in between and in all of the cracks. My skin that's grown scaly and yellowish brown. My mind is a cloud, and it wants to come out. He. This is where the wild things are. That truly, yes, the little child in that book should be terrified, and that's a guitar work. He should be terrified, but the monsters really aren't, and that's everything else. Hmm. 
I was on board with Matt's, Matt's, but now I think you might have you might have swayed me. That's that's what I saw. I mean, it does sound like pure transformation here, but either way, metaphorically or physically, um, the verse work is is absolutely beautiful in create creating this poetic imagery of this transformation. In its simplicity, yeah. Yeah, and then, however, you know, we go back to the choruses. The pure lyric work of the choruses are as simple as it gets. I am a How, monster. However, <laughs> at least this time, unlike Lila, this time he does something with it as the choruses progress. He elongates the syllables. He warbles the tail end of it. It and it makes it yes, it makes it become a call. It makes it sound like this monster's call is saying he's a monster. It actually counters the fact that there's only one lyric there. It's kind yeah. of like if you're gonna go big, go big. You can give yeah. us a full on chorus with, you know, a sweeping melody and a sweeping uh uh lyric work like we got in, in Frozen Paradise, but then you can also do a great chorus by keeping it simple. You can do a lot with a little. Yeah. And he does that here with the chorus. And that's what I, I really solidifies this song as one of my favorites on the record. Is it's just got a unique build, a unique bass line. It's got great lyrical content. And then even the lighter or less lyrical content is still played with in order to create more content. You know, not just a lot with a little, but also keeping it pure. I think keeping it sort of close to the nature of the song. The song is called Munster. We've clearly established the theme now, if, if, if John hasn't established it for you and it's childish that's what it comes down to it's like a child describing which is fascinating because his the, transformation the, the warble really lends to that also it's yeah. the sort of i mean to be frank if that if you see something like that happening i mean it's it's straight out of every horror movie of all time but the way it's stated is just so not uneducated but just so simple just yeah. so matterfactually I'm getting scales, I'm getting quills, I, I'm oozing. Like, it's just so daw and scary at the same time. That's what we actually have a really, another really interesting blend here, I think, between the familiar and between straight up Chad Van Gallen. I mean, that what you're describing is definitely him. And yet we can't forget that we also still have somewhat of that classic folk backdrop here, which somewhat detracts it a little bit for me. And, and left me feeling that the backdrop was, was a little bit plain, maybe, in the long haul. But then you add in the melody, you add in the, uh, well, actually, the melody was, uh, was a little down on, too. But I guess this is really a lyric-heavy track, then, in that particular case. In this apart, case, that's the experience you're going for. Apart from the, the, the bass rumble that you get in the very beginning, which is unique in, in supporting that theme. But that's maybe one of the only things. And then, of course, this, the... the the framing, I think, of that chorus. So yeah, it's interesting how he's actually doing a lot with sort of the the glue, but not yeah. the substance. <laughs> yeah. well, That's really fascinating. And yet all of this still builds this setting that he's been become so good at doing at this point. He's done it... It's been a series of snapshots, and this is another one. And works and, and very I see well. Mine, and I see yours as well, Matt. I, I do see where I, you're coming I, from. I mean, I think that I only go metaphorically because I'm taking the adult approach looking in. But if we let an inner child loose, you can see the other side as well. And I love my inner child on this It one. can be very much both. <laughs> you are... No one will be sued for uh, for having multiple interpretations of Chad Van Gallen's song. Don't worry. For sure not. <laughs> okay. Um... 
unfortunately now we have to go on to a song that I'm pretty sure we were all kind of a bit down on. So this song is called Evil. Um, and it's it's more in the line of uh, Wade, uh, Wade Sin, except this time... So he, from the first chord, you can tell this is a 50s rock song. It's But it's not emulating it and playing with it a little like Wade Sin was. This is out and out here's a 50s rock song it was very familiar sounding i likened it to roy orbison this this is not just a um uh an element here or there that composes it i'm initially from the beginning i is. noted that the bass is in the style the tambourine stepping in is in the style the snare drum and the heavy reverb on both guitars which granted have sort of that 50s 60s edge as i've noted throughout the album but again as just that one instrument in a song that otherwise has other things going on that's not too big of a crime and frankly feels unique but because all of these things just come together to put me back in that setting i i'm i'm on a 50s dance floor and this feels utterly intentional and the way it was a curious uh move and when he sings he even and what what really solidified the royal orbison sound his falsetto sounds beautiful like it always does but it very much fit this style, and I immediately was taken back to a, a very solid 50s sound with very little give in one direction or the other. I I thought this one la- uh, lacked the personal touch that I've grown that's, accustomed to. That's that, really that's, what it comes that's down that's to. That's it, me. the nail on the head. That's not personal. This feels like it didn't have to be Chad Bangle, and this could be anybody yeah. who wrote and a 50s rock song. The way, uh, I think that the way you really can tell that if not from all these other reasons, is the melody itself. Because yeah. the melody is always is always the, the, the personality. The melody is the story of the song. And in this particular case, it sounded like Chad, who, of course, has such a unique voice, you can't mistake it. That's the one thing that is a constant, is he can't change his voice. It's definitely Chad Van Gelen singing. And it has his it has his touch to it. But it's like he stepped into someone else's melody. As in the actual notes written did not feel like they came from him. They felt like they could have been from someone else. It's not... It's something that, of course, you know, is a little bit left to interpretation. If someone does not come in with the knowledge of 50s music, then they could probably just almost gloss over this and accept it as another uh, extension of this album. Because, yeah, there's some similarities in, in in the components of the track. But, you know... It takes us away, and we are almost unanimous. No, I would even this. say that 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 might be that that I don't think would stand up because he does go into a little bit of a solo work uh, between verses and choruses and all the singing that's going on. And no, but even, even that even was that really boring. It did no. It really just restated the melody. Exactly. It was very much. It, it didn't step away and improvise. And, it felt very much like. Just and that's a where I say they wouldn't cross over. They'd be like, "What are you doing, Chad?" Well, and, and also, it's, yeah, come on. The, the reality is also, it was very basic. So even if you don't have a knowledge of fifties music because you've been on a rock or you weren't educated properly, or you're eight, I don't know. You weren't educated properly because at eight <laughs> I knew fifties music. Anyway, you pulled a map. Thing. Well, you're closer uh, to the fifties than normal eight year olds. Uh, <laughs> even even ignoring all of those things, it's still fairly boring and kind of basic. Um, which I mean was part not boring wasn't part of the time but basic was I mean it's 50 the 50s rock was very fairly straightforward um, there was a lot of exciting things within it but it was more or less as sound wise was very straightforward and I think that's where the song suffers the most it's very familiar and very simple and 
And it seemed it seemed not really to go anywhere. No, it, even even within the, the song didn't go anywhere, the lyrics didn't go anywhere, and even on this album, it doesn't feel like it has a place within the tight context of a typical Chad Van Gallen song, which is often very concise in its delivery. That that's also why this suffered, because in many ways, it it has no no real place to go because yeah. not every song can be frozen paradise. So once it doesn't go there, once it is not what you see, then there's really nowhere else to go from there but end, which is what kind of what it did. Yeah. That said, I mean, it still wasn't particularly that long and it wasn't bad by any means. It was just kind of meh. But what? it wasn't, it wasn't, it was it didn't, it, it, I think it hurt our opinion of Chad Vangelin's music because of what we've come to like. I don't really think... Oh, it, it didn't hurt my opinion of his music. It just sounded like he well, dropped I, the ball. I think it hurt oh, our oh. overall opinion of the album, obviously. But I don't think... It's a whole... But but I don't come across think a lot of holes. it really right. I don't think it really was a bad song. It, but this hole is compounded with "Leaning on Bells," the next track. Now, "Leaning on Bells" is by no means as unimpressive as "Evil," I... but this was kind of like '50s plus some punk. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Since since we're in like a strange uh, middle area of this album, which seems to be much more of the reference variety, which is definitely something I'm not familiar with, uh, with 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 what he does, but this was more along the lines of what I saw. The brighter, more attitude-driven side of a lot 60s more energy, rock. energy, sure. Yep. Well, but... The, it's kind of like Psychedelia had just stepped in and showed up to the party. Well... But yet also, and I think this is where you're going, Matt, it also has a little bit more in common with maybe 80s punk. It has that edge to it. So we're in like... Yes and no. We're in like a weird... It has... All right, fine. Let's just leave it at this. Let's leave it at the word edge, which we could probably get from a, quite a few things, and we noted before the podcast that, you know, that's almost kind of what Helter Skelter was doing, and granted, that was in the late 60s, and that practically influenced the entire punk movement, so... This, this song is like someone took the Beach Boys and some old-school punk and put it together. It had a very beach rock meets punk sound that I liken to Beatles' Helter Skelter era because it was punk light. And that's where this kind of comes around. But it does have the energy and attitude of punk. Um, I mean, but, but I got this before. This this is also to me lacked that that touch. I mean, that I, personal touch. But I, I, it did not feel distinct. I will say though, it it was unique enough for the album more so than the last track for sure. It just didn't fall flat and very basic. There were at least some levels to this, um, especially towards the end with the guitar solo and the kind of almost cluttered punk sound that it goes into. I felt at least there was more going on here and I was somewhat engaged. No, I'm with you. It wasn't it's... it it wasn't by any means as good as earlier tracks, but it wasn't as bad to me and I use the term bad loosely no this but, is where I was coming with this, this track it was better than track 7 not better than the whole first half of the album yes you know alright alright well I, I don't like to talk about things in, in terms of just like mm, a little bit of this little bit I, I would never sit down and like thoroughly rank the tracks on an album because we're still here at the end of the day talking about what the album leaves us in the end but I am definitely split on this one because of the components of the track itself Yes, we're not really looking at a lot of content here. I think that's really the number one problem at this point, because the melody is not necessarily grabbing us in the same way, or there's just not that it factor. But, you know, the riff here, yeah, very unchanging. The solo, strangely, was almost more of an anti-solo. Uh, it, it really, it kind of, like, yes, it did start to get pretty edgy, you might notice right over the two-minute mark, but then it was just gone, and the melody was back. So... It's kind of like this track is sort of broaching 
what we would define as edgy or 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 something you can at least groove to. That's the fun thing. That is the fun thing that this track does have. And yes, the melody in some sense does step in and out of moments where even it itself can be edgy. And if attitude here is the goal, then it's really the melody that does need to embody that and not really the tail end of a solo. So really the story of this track is still along the lines of something I'm I'm I, I'm keen to hearing. Yeah, but I, my biggest complaint about this song also is this does something no other track on the entire record does. It actually manages to drown out his singing. Not completely, but his singing does what a lot of punk songs do. It becomes... Background at, noise. Yeah, and, and that's a problem. Oh, no. Because oh. you, with, Chad, with Chad's singing specifically, it's, it's a centerpiece, more often than not. And even in places where we're losing our grip on what we like, we can latch onto that. Here, in the clutter, especially towards the middle of the song, he gets completely subdued, subsumed, I don't know, some, some, some sub word. I think subsumed was actually accurate. No, you were good. But <laughs> anyway, you're good. It, get, it gets buried, to make it simpler, within the track track's music, and that really took me out of the song. And that's where the largest complaint comes through. Like, I want to hear his singing. I love it. It's beautiful. Right. Oh, so, you so, see, so it is so as bad as I made it out to be. So you see even, just, just to run here, you see even with the point that I mentioned before about sort of the positive factors, uh, the positive qualities of this track being being that edge, you sort of see that as a problem in itself because that edge is also dragging him back. Even when he's being edgy, he's forced to kind of sort of go with the punk community and, I'm and gonna stand go with that's the just it. He's being edgy for him, sort of. But he's not being edgy for punk. He's not being edgy for rock and roll. He's kind of just being... A cl- like, that That burying the vocals and the music is a cliche punk thing to do. All punk bands do it. I agree. And and you, of all people, are absolutely the first to par- point out harshly the cliches of punk. And this song is dripping with it. And upon a further analysis I of am, it, but I also want to be careful. These are sort of impressions that we're getting. You know, we for, I started off this and I was like, oh, we're on the attitude-driven side of the 60s. And I was like, all right, well, maybe we're in some psychedelic here. And then finally I moved toward punk. So it is still, in the end, it's kind of his edge. But, let's face it, all these things had one thing in common, and that was the fact that sometimes they just like to thrash out. But it's not like this is the same kind of thrashing that we got last week in Swans. No. It's heavy, and it's heavy... I don't think overly so, but yes, it does drag back the melody, and I think that's probably the the, the worst part of it. Yeah, I don't uh, that think... It, I mean, no, not even the melody, the fact that it drags back his voice. I think that I, I still would stick to the fact that I like this better than Seven, but I just... It's got energy. That's what yes. it's really got going for it. But it's just, it, it hurts it so much. You don't want to, you, you don't want to drown out Chad. This is what I've learned at this point in the record, is you don't want to do that. Um, no, you're right, and I, I settled before on saying if, the, if if attitude is the goal, then it's really the, the melody that really has to embody that, and yeah. and, and uh, even though the probably the edgiest part was the tail end of that solo, that's just not going to cut it in the long haul. So yeah, I think we're fairly set with this. I I want more breakout. Come on, Chad. And <laughs> thankfully, track nine rescues us from this this rut we're falling into track nine all will combine which i made a very bad joke off the air that i will repeat that it's about voltron um if you were born in the 80s you'll get that uh this song at least goes somewhere interesting and it's back to chad being chad trying some new things making something post rock modern folk 
amalgamation that Steve has talked the about. The title says everything. He yes. takes a bunch of genres here and starts fusing them but together. But the backbone of this track, and the first thing I want to talk about, because it's there from the beginning moments, is this bass groove. We haven't heard a standout. There have been bass moments of decent stand-up bass, but this is an elect. what sounds like an electric bass guitar that's just beautifully grooving the backbone of this kind of chill out track funky that I really jazzy like style, funky jazzy well I am going to disagree with you on one point that you made earlier and that is that I don't think at this point we're entirely beyond the reference art of this of this portion of the album we're not entirely beyond style study projects because even this groove you know you could kind of see that as a sort of 70s funk yes but, I mean well granted but, that's loose but there's elements here. Yes, there's so much more on top of it. But he it's what uses, he does with it that's different I from agree. the previous two times. The punctuation of the guitar is particularly tasteful in this case. I love the way he plays with that guitar on top of that, that deep, deep bass. Uh, it's enticing. It's very enjoyable. Now, do you know what I'm noticing? Though? I mean, granted, that's all true. And uh, the only uh, critique that I have here is just the climbing out of the bottom and maybe it's not so much a critique now that i think about it because really if you're going to withdraw yourself from a type of reference art from these style study uh experiments then how, what's the best way to do that I, I suppose you might as well climb up a little bit slowly yeah you know and, and this... in a sense not just treat the album as some kind of dramatic departure as we previously well even that wasn't so dramatic it was it, we 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 find little things here and there in these tracks that are like, huh, that was a familiar. I wasn't familiar with getting anything familiar from him before, <laughs> and then all of a sudden that's that's insanely familiar. Is it even Chad anymore? And now we're like being pulled right back out of it. So in the sense, I I'm kind of down. I I sort of see where these these tracks it, start to fall within the arc, in it, which makes this unfortunately a little bit of a a, a pull away nostalgia album, at least in part, but he intertwines it with the furiously new so it's the idea that i'm not going to be overly critical he fell down a well of nostalgia and as he's hitting the walls on the way down he grabs a rope and climbs back out okay i just i just wanted i just wanted to be clear about that because of my experience in listening to this track i wasn't able to you know i'm listening to the album consecutively so i wasn't able to just sort of like you know forget about the previous tracks and just say okay this is a new a new chad vangelin song no i've kind of been in this I've been in the past for the previous two tracks. Now, I'm I'm my ears are sort of open. I think for these other styles, these other periods. So yes, this had a little bit in common with classic rock. It had some things in common, believe it or not, with new wave. But yes, I agree. I heard more Chad here. I I I heard it obviously whenever he sings, and the groove is actually kind of new for him when you really think about it. That's not something that I even really got uh, in in his earlier work. It's not something he's uh, he typically does grooves in his own ways not in this not in this bass way and i think also a thing is the last two tracks because they were so nostalgia influenced they lacked character this song again had character it had a distinct personality of its own it wasn't just existing in this past it state did. and it also got better and better as it got a lot as it went along because yeah, we, we actually I, yeah. go through several movements in this that's, track that's um, my favorite part and this was one of those I don't even see it as sort of like a A B C D verse chorus verse chorus. This felt like one major build of a song. Oh, for just sure. Just a layering and just a lot of it. You yeah, know, movements like, is the wrong way to put it. It's more yeah. like um, 
it's just the, stages. The, yeah, that 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 actually works good. It's just building upon its predecessor as you're going along. Well, you get these. He, d- he does play around with texture quite a bit, and that's here. in a lot of the uses of the uh, electronic tones. The he also plays around with rhythm a little bit here. He has this this sense that I think really perpetuates that groove right alongside the bass. Is you have like. 4-4, four, four. you know, a 4-4 four, four measure, then another 4-4 four, four measure, maybe even another two of those, just to keep the round going, and then at some point, he'll throw in just two beats, just to sort of extend that up to a 6, and then sort of restart itself again. And well, sometimes you gotta adapt to what's every, going on. Every four measures or so, that has a way of kind of aiding the groove, where the bass adjusts to it in a very, very pleasing way, because uh, bass is often very intertwined with, with, uh, with percussion in that sense. That, so that build lends to this kind of ch- chill, chill out kind of verse that goes into a very synth, key, not synth, but keyboard, electronic based chorus that still has that backbone bass. Well, this is the texture that I'm talking about. Yeah. The texture, you know, you have the bass grooves. You're in kind of the low end here. Then you throw in these sort of high register, um, sort of. I, I, it's, it's too present to even call it color. Um, but what I would call that, that sort of chill out as you called it it's it's kind of like a choir and it sounds the singing in the background almost sounds like a children's choir it is that high register and on top of that yes you do have the keyboard which i thought was kind of imitating a pan flute at this point yeah it had it had that almost tall kind of feel excuse me that was john's observation yeah we're going between pan flutes lutes a lot of a piccolo i don't know we were just trying to figure out what the Heck, it was trying to be. When in doubt, I usually just say keyboard, especially when you're dealing with a, a, a solo artist here. I imagine he's but doing a lot was, with synth work. But that that was actually a nice little thing there too. I I I enjoy the way he's just throwing in things. This is this song is truly just multi-genre. There's so much going on. And again, it has to do with taste. I mean, we we throw this a lot around that whenever you're throwing in instruments, it could also it could also kind of ruin it for you. Frankly, even back in in, in the, one of the more shamelessly country tracks here. Actually, it wasn't the one that was so shameless. It was the one that was actually fairly um, fairly evened out. But there was a moment in the end of that track where it started throwing in instruments, but they were particularly country, country instruments. So I, that was in the position of actually perpetuating a trope. This is doing it in such a way that these instruments that step in, and certainly the choir and then the pan flute, this is all, all fueling the pull back to to what he does best which it's, is it's pull it is really like a like a rope like you said before it's dragging you out of the gutter which is kind of kind of mean for me to refer to the uh the reference portions of this album as the gutter but to be fair it is it is modernizing this track in, in the process as time goes on in just this span of five minutes it is modernizing it and i can feel that with every added instrument so it is not tropey as these instruments get layered it is quite tasteful in the end that's actually speaks directly to why we need those double beats thrown in every once in a while it's trying to rebuild itself and every once in a while there's a stutter step there's a Rebuild. Uh, go back and try this again. You you messed up a little bit here. That's not or, a bad observation. Although I think I'd be hard pressed to to infer that that is exactly what the artist was but thinking. It's done a lot because of those. It helps the groove, and that's a really lot of all those two beats are right before something major elementally is going to be introduced. It's definitely it definitely it's a works. Preparation at, at worst. It's a preparation for what comes next. 
I didn't notice that it felt uh, fall uh, directly bef- prior to to an instrument stepping it's where, in. It's where it's usually right but around where he's going to try something. I will take your word for that. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we're um at a fairly good way with this track. I mean, uh, apart from that, there are there are little lyrics here that I want to kind of get off my chest, and that's all the noise wiped out as we fall under its spell. When mine feels fine and far away from it... Oh, excuse me. There was one other line here. All the blues and greens rise up and out of us now. Now, that is another reference to color, which I think he's done several times now in the lyrical work that we've uh, been able to glean. And that's... I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I like I like lyrics that, that explore color. Just a personal preference. And it also is where my metaphor Great, you like a thing. Good yes, I like you. a thing. Yes. May not get a convey. gold star. Yay. That may not carry over into all audiences, but nevertheless. Yes. <laughs> not all audiences like a thing. Uh, not all audiences can see color. All right, well, I do want to ask. I want to put that to you. What does that mean, all the blues and greens pull out of you now? Uh, what, would you, what would you see as your own personal blue and green? Um, Common lovey feelings. No, I'd go the other way. Blues and greens are more... The, it's pulling this depression, this, this weight off of you. Wow, those are... Those could not be more opposite answers. On the positive I, side, I think mine is blues even more and greens opposite. actually do represent what I said, and on the negative side, they do exactly represent uh, what Storm said. I did a lot of uh, study into color and art as a kid. You must have studied synesthesia then. They're the yes, they're the warm color, uh, the cool colors. Cool colors usually represent the less energetic emotions. That's exactly why. That's what I thought it was yeah. more that for me. For me, it was it was really. Uh, a sort of contentment, which could be both a positive and a negative. <laughs> which brings us back to Frozen Paradise, There's... in which we had a, that in droves. You just hit and... me with a meta stick. Ah, right. uh, crap! <laughs> this album is doing a number on me. Well, here's another number: Weird Love, track ten. This track is so cool. So I love this track. Yeah, I, what I what I really like is that this intro. He's really got a solid. Uh, build for his intros in the, most of these songs and this is another one it's a multi-cello s- intro that is almost horror-esque in the way the cellos are being tra- played First, they're, they're pulling on the strings in this tuning manner that really bows the sound it almost sounds like you just bowed the string and then kind of turned the tuner downward no, in the no, process no. it's like you tied them up and threw them in the closet and they're yelling out for help why would you think that? That's horrible. I know, but the, it, it was scary. It <laughs> no, was it is scary. scary. It is scary. I'm not going to demean this. This the way really, it's muted this is just so... was probably mm. the most intriguing uh, track introduction that I've had in a very, very long time. Um, it's, it seems like we keep topping ourselves. I think our picks are getting better. Yeah. But, um, the thing about this intro, though, is that it lent itself to what seemed like a much darker start to the track. And... Uh, it seemed to really be going in that direction, but it ends up not once the actual meat of the track begins. And that was my one problem with it. And, that and that's wasn't... why no. And that's why I liked it. No, I did not need. I did not need it to go scary. Yeah, I was not for weird love. For I, scary I love, like sure, but not weird love. I, I wanted esoteric. So I wanted. The... Unusual, but it didn't wanted... go esoteric, though. Yes, but he didn't it went stay very... anywhere throughout the song. It it, fl- it it like a dime. It just flipped over, and and the cellos left, and then all of a sudden, things were happy. 
Well, what I like about that... <laughs> That's, I can't explain that they, any no, simpler. No, no, no. They were not just happy, though. What I liked about the, the way the cellos removed themselves and it went into this happier, almost jaunty sound is the cellos were alluding to a more horror-esque sound without actually saying it and then wandered off before it got too scary and it became this more friendlier sound. That said, the groove in this track, I think, really really supported this kind of oddness that was trying to be conveyed. The song is called Weird Love. It wasn't friendly. He was trying to convey this oddness, this quirk. And the intro was very quirky. It was very unique. And then it moved itself into something that was equally as quirky, especially when compared to what came before it. Well, yes. And I have, I I, I came prepared with, to pose myself that on devil's advocate question here because really what i'm talking about is just from a musical standpoint i was a little bit disappointed from a musical standpoint i i thought that there was room for expansion but on a theme standpoint this actually is very very strong considering some of the lyrics here every day you take a different shape i wonder how you look when you're undone with dirty hands you wipe them on your pants and throw your broken fingers at the sun yeah you tell me that you do it is just for tell me that you do it is just for fun yeah. The lyrics support the quirky, kind of bizarre love feel, too. This idea also that when... It, it, it sort of shows a kind of turning things on their back, and, in a sense. And the track is conveying this kind of... Um, this oddness and this... There's, a, there's an undercurrent to it that is... Uh, I want to be they, careful about bullshitting this track, though. I mean, that's the only thing. That, like... I... I did, Sometimes you could go overboard with with some of these uh, with some of these inferences here. No. I see it in the lyrics, but no, that was no, a strong no. that there was a is... strong musical move that 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 only but that wasn't only the... okay. raises no, 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 no. the concept no, no. of flipping. No, no, there's not. That's not the only thing that happens. The entire song has a backdrop to it musically that is unsettling. That isn't quite meshing up. Uh, fully with the melody. There's there's things going on in it that are not quite in the same key, quite in the same tempo, and it does undergo transformations as you're going along. It has two or three more additional shifts where it really does change musically, but remains the same song. Well, let me just describe one more time what I, what I feel is really happening here on a musical level. Granted, those cellos, I mean... We all admit we were immediately allured by them from the beginning. And actually, the funny we actually get sort of cricket sounds that open up the track itself. And then on top of that, fade in the cellos, which gradually overlap each other and they slide downward, slide downward, one on top of the other, seeming not always to meet, but then sometimes on that final note to hit home in a certain way. Either way, it is haunting, and that was the perfect word from the beginning. But the funny thing is they do find their tuning, and then eventually they step out, and they're gone. And then over that, the drums and the vocals step in, and it kind of takes on sort of a Songs of the Bayou kind of character. That's how pleasant this was. But yes, it has that sort of... It doesn't completely depart it, it, because it it is... trying to figure out how to explain this here. There is, a, there is a growing discord in what's going on. There is a discord only in the sense that we uh, associate the movie... You're blanking. He's actually... I think I gotta reboot him. No, there's there's not just... 
There's an actual Discord in, in the notes themselves. I'm, I'm hearing. I've... Deliverance. The movie Deliverance. There's a reason we... Asso- I rebooted, thank you. I rebooted... The, the movie Deliverance, we associate... Granted, that's not the bayou, but it's like, you know, the deep south in the middle of the swamplands of Georgia and whatnot. There's a reason we associate that movie with horror, not just because of the crazy things going on. But yes, there's crazy people living in the woods. They're gonna, they're gonna get you. They're not like people from a city folk, you know? It, this is the haunting quality. That's not so haunting to me as it is a little bit goofy. Frankly, a lot of people make fun of the movie Deliverance. Well, yeah, but it's also in the vein of I'd compare. It stars Burt Reynolds. It stars Burt Reynolds. How much of a horror can it be? This this is a song that I would compare also to kind of an aesthetic that was conveyed by a song by one of our favorite bands on the podcast. And roll with me with this a little bit. The Suspender Man by Steam Power Giraffe, which I loved, and I think both of you were less on board with. Um, I like Suspender Man, but either way, this song kind of gives that kind of vibe. This weird adoration to a character who. Everyone loves because he plays the banjo and he's the suspender man and he can play really well, but they don't really know anything about him or why he can or why he does. And then he just disappears one day. And this song has this very similar vibe of it's it's a here and then it's gone kind of feel. And it gives this kind of aesthetic that suspender man did in the bayou, in the swamps, this kind of murkiness. But almost playfulness comedy, too. And I think your explanation, Steve, only further supported our liking of the song and why we feel it works. I know. That's why I steer these conversations in that way. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Anyway, Matt, I, I said from the Matt, very beginning, it I, supports the theme. It supports yeah. the theme in a very, very strong way. Only from a musical level. And it, it's not even like... I'm, I even feel like I'm... I'm Starting to get a little bit spoiled by Frozen Paradise now that I know that's what Chad Banglin does. Because he is naturally playful. So yes, it is only natural that he would do something just like what you described. Just like we came to the conclusion to together. But maybe as a result of this intro here, I was actually willing to to sort of look forward at his discography and maybe say that there was going to be another element there. Just, just personally. Okay. That's a personal touch, and that speaks to discography's sake. I mean, honestly, as as far as as far as theme and 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 intrigue goes, I still think this is going to grab any listener. Um. Now we walk away from something that's very steeped in lots of strange things to something that's fairly straightforward. So, uh, track eleven, Hangman's Son, uh, S O N. So as in the child of the hangman. Um, is a is a very very straightforward uh, acoustic folk track. Um, this is I would use the word on the nose. It's it's sleepy and forlorn feeling. It's not the first time we felt forlorn, but um, lyrically it's kind of uninspired to me. The only thing that was really stand out in the whole song, and I'm going to kind of do a full song summation is that there was really great harmonica work on this track more than once. It wasn't a quick little solo. He actually did some fantastic harmonica work that I enjoyed a lot. But You know, actually people forget, I think, a lot that he's uh, an excellent harmonica player in his own right. It's listed as one of his major instruments, which is funny because a lot of his work I really don't hear. I hear it here and there, so much so that sometimes it's forgettable because a harmonica is the kind of instrument that really steps forward as a centerpiece. Yeah. And yet I'm accustomed to hearing his voice as the centerpiece. 
So it is strange when you're suddenly uh, supplanting that with the harmonica. It's, but it's worth noting. It is definitely worth noting. So it, I'm glad it, you noticed it. And it worked really well in this song, and because it, it was one of the more standout things. His voice, you know, he's got a great singing voice, but he, the lyrics in the song just didn't really grab me. They were kind of run-of-the-mill and not necessarily generic, but just unexpected. Yeah. I, 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 I personally don't have the lyrics in front of me for no. this track. And it's, but it's, again, this is like what I said as early as Frozen Paradise. You need to have a reason to be allured by the lyrics. If the lyrics don't catch you initially, I think sometimes that's the that's the fault of a song uh, as, as not grabbing you per se. But again, I note the harmonica work. It's still very important for this track. And otherwise... It's still a pleasant song to listen to, but I'm yeah. moving this track more into the category of a background noise track. Yeah. I could put this on and sort of just kind of maybe almost fall asleep to it. The, it actually had this very sweet, slow, kind of a nighttime country song for me. Uh, that's, that's where it fell, because a lot of country songs can be very, very upbeat. Maybe I wouldn't go so far as to say in your face, but... They're definitely a little bit more livelier, but there is another brand here, and it goes closer to the folk end, and that is the the lullaby, almost. That's one quality that this song had. But yeah. then again, uh, it, it wasn't so soothing that I can hold it as like a insanely memorable lullaby. But not all lullabies are memorable, so... This song... I don't know. We were on the cooldown at this point of the album. I wasn't really hating it. I didn't hate it either, but it was just kind of not... It was kind of there. Yeah, it wasn't supremely memorable. There's not really a lot to say about this track. We seem to be shifting to uh, vague descriptors, but... No, no, no. That, no it, that's kind of where we're the at. Whole well, thing, that's the whole but problem. See, but see, description is promoted by the content. We don't have much to describe in this track. We're vague it's, because the track is fairly vague and straightforward. It's it's just kind of there. Yeah. Every little piece that it goes there's through. Even, even the lyrics. The lyrics themselves. He's talking about... Hey, son, blah, blah, blah. And that's a that's really what I'm getting out of the lyrics as I'm listening. Kind of a blah, yeah, lullaby blah, blah, to the son of the hangman, of essentially, here. yeah. Oh, you're right. Um, we get a lo- even a, uh, at least more substance to talk about in track 12, the final track on the record. Cosmic Destroyer. First of all, one of the greatest names of any tracks ever. I just love that name. Well, Cosmic Destroyer, um, I, my brain, because it's nerdy, goes to Galactus. Eater uh, of Worlds is what should have followed that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because the song is so... It, it's, it I, almost yeah, my, has the same character as Hangman's Son. In my honest. first descriptor of this song... It's nice. It's a nice song. It's so nice. It's just it's it's We do not encourage that word. No, his, never. Uh, on but the Crash Quotes podcast. Never ever. I was doing my terrible George Carlin impression, but the reality that this a song can be so kind of meh that it's just nice. It has no other descriptors. It it it, it, it my biggest problem with the song is I already heard it. I feel like after the amalgamation of this record, I don't know I could pinpoint to another specific song that sounds like it. I feel like the culmination of a lot of his sound comes through in this track, and I feel like I've heard it already. This track served the purpose, I think, only to tie together certain elements of of this album, which weren't really the elements that I was honing in on. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's, those were the those were really the country elements. Those were the you you're sort of returning to almost the same uh, guitar wailing. Um, you know, mixed with sort of a more standard rhythmic uh, electronic guitar at the same time. It's that, it's that sort of blend that occurs here, just like it occurred earlier on the album, just like it occurred in the more country portion of the album. It's kind of the constant here, and yet we end with it as well. But I don't like 
rhythmic guitar on this album. I like punctuated accent, acoustic, playful. Well, let's be joyous fair here. Kitten guitar. Hold on a second. If you did not have the rhythmic guitar on this album, there would be no glue whatsoever. Yeah, but the rhythmic guitar in so much of this album doesn't sound like just a rhythmic guitar. It sounds like a playful little element that's working off the percussion. It sounds like a solo, even if it is a rhythm. Just the way he's presenting it. No, is just... not the rhythm guitar that I'm noting. It, could, it can't possibly have a solo out of rhythm guitar. It really is a timekeeper, but it is a groove keeper as well. It sort of puts you in the mood of a song, which is actually the only reason I was sort of defending um, Hangman's Son just a little bit, because it, it, it the groove embodied something closer to a lullaby. Whereas this track, I was actually a little bit uh, more longing in, in 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 substance or or um simply something to define it. I liken this track to a conclusionary paragraph in a mediocre essay. What I mean is, let's use Harry Potter as an example. Harry Potter is about. Uh, I see where you're going here. Is about wizards and magic. However, there are also owls and fireplaces and a few other things. It's like someone took a conclusionary paragraph for Harry Potter, but focused on the owls and the architecture instead of the magic and the wizards, which are parts. They're story elements. I mean, the, the owls are very important to Harry Interesting. Potter. But, but they're not nearly as important as a wand. Yeah. This is like the... This is like... This is, this is the, the moment when you restate your... You take the line, the conclusion should restate your thesis way too seriously. Yes. And it restates it, but hones in on portions that weren't really that focused. You know... I, I like that he's restating the country theme a little bit, but it wasn't that important in the overall arc of this record. It's just, I feel like... Well, with a not important, it, it well, wasn't as impressive in the overall arc. It, Bingo. Ba better way of wording it, yes. I got uh, better words. John's being me for a moment, and I'm being him. It's fine, we do that. I'll always be me, which is better. Wow. Um, Cosmic Destroyer, though, also, this is kind of a selfish reason. It doesn't live up to the name. It doesn't. I know. That, it's that, like, that's my No, no, that's, that's the big thing we noted from the very beginning. That's, that's my that's, gripe. Like, it just doesn't live up to the name. Like, if you're going to have a name like Cosmic Destroyer... To Destroy, be fair, uh, we're not looking at lyrics at the moment. Yes. No, so, I looked at the lyrics. I listened along. It was, it was kind of Cosmic Destroyer, Kittens of Worlds. Not Eaters of Worlds. Kittens of Worlds. It was... They weren't, they weren't very strong. Regardless of the lyrics, that's kind though. of... Well, hold on a second here. Let's not pull too far away here, because we've seen enough bizarre things that he's doing with theme uh, to, to begin with here mm. that I would not be so surprised if that's sort of a nice underhanded way of stating that same exact thing. That sort of... When you're still in the stagnant state that we described earlier, I don't think you're gonna get some big explosion here. I caught one line here, and that was, that was your nature, that you don't have a name. Something about that is very empty. Yeah, and I get that, and I'm not gonna do, I'm not going to argue the thematic consequences of song and sound, um, because it could very well be that it's intentional for this song to sound the way it sounds and be named the way it names. Na it's named. However, I still felt like I was getting more of the same by the end of this track. I just, I, I, I had lost a little bit of interest. It, if it was a conclusionary track in the sense that it's wrapping up this album, yeah, it did okay. No, and I'm certainly of the mindset that your theme should never step so far away from the music itself. Yeah. We're still here about music in the end, so theme is not 
for everything. It's not it's not the end all be all. And sometimes we go down the theme route, which which heavily supports the music. That's all it should do. It should support. The yeah. music should tell the story. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where we're at with this track and the album. So, John, what'd you think? I guess I'm going first this week. Yep. <laughs> Subtle. Not, uh, yep. Like, like every track. one of your segues, it's like a he controlled you. Shovel to the face. <laughs> um. First off, I okay. Great vocalist. We're gonna go down the checklist. Great vocalist. Mostly intriguing lyricist. Um, obviously talented with anything he picks up, except maybe the tambourine, and you really don't have many ways to play that instrument. Uh, but with the kind of dark hole in the middle towards the end with evil, um, with a little bit more, with the, the kind of... The high beginning and the low end is a, is a little bit of a detractor as an overall theme work as, as an overall arc it hurts it a little bit there I like my awesomeness spread out and the go from the intriguing to the familiar is a little bit unusual as far as theme work goes the kind of safer 50s, 60s, 70s reproductions probably would have made more sense in the beginning if that's the sort of thing he's going for then in that case all will combine would have been a great here's the next evolutionary step frozen paradise or where are you or lila like those would have been the next evolutionary step instead start high drop down and then try to build yourself back up is kind of weird for me that's one of my biggest gripes on this album that being said, I loved so many songs on this album. They, they were just, it, there's something there. Whether it's just trying to figure out the words, as we've said so many times, we want to find out the lyrics because they're there and they're so intriguing. They're shrouded in a mystique. Uh, the, musically, he does some very, very off-the-wall things with uh, how he regards his instruments, how he regards uh, just... What, what's, what's your basis? Well, it's not percussion in so many cases. It's a guitar. I love that. He's I Canadian. I love flipping that. He's Canadian. It's, hey. things, it's, the, it's those little things. Hey. 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 Um, but it's not... It's like he's evolving old things as opposed to creating new in so much of this. With the exception of, of Frozen Paradise and really Lila. I love Lila. Uh, it felt like it started off as something and then became this brand new idea as opposed to just creating something that was purely new. For that, I'm going to fault him a little bit. But even that fault, this puts it at a solid four-star album. This is this is a solid, great album. I loved listening to it. Probably the first time I heard it, I actually heard it shuffled and that was a big detractor. But hearing it Spotify can ruin us. Yeah, I know, I know. But hearing it in order, I did like the way it ended. Even though it was kind of softer and a little bit familiar, I did like the way it ended. So, for me, um, I want to take the wrap-up at a different angle. At first, I'd written down that this really had no arc or, or theme. That's kind of not the case as we've broken it down. The thing that I really like about 
Chad better than most things is that each song, even the ones that were more stripped down, were snapshots. This is a collection of scenes. It's like going from short story to short story to short story. But like most collections of short stories, there is a through line, and I found it. And it's in the emotional place in this album. Steve talked about earlier how this contentment, this plain happiness is almost a prison and a problem. The whole album is that. It's emotionally level. When you meet a person who's so emotionally even, you think they're, they have larger problems than someone who's erratic. Because when you're emotionally even, it's almost like, well, nothing does anything for you. You just kind of coast and go. And this album conveys how that damage can, can, can be conveyed in different ways. And that falling and drowning in this contentment, this emotional levelness, can be your undoing. And I think that's where Cosmic Destroyer really wraps up this album, is that because it's a little bit of everything we've heard before, it really was a summation in I Can't Escape, is essentially, and it, it was a cosmic disturbance, or a destroyer of his cosmic world, because he can't escape that contentment. He's trapped still. And that arc was much stronger than I ever saw until we wrapped up the album. That alone pushes it higher than I thought it would be before. Taking into consideration that the only song I truly didn't like at all was Evil. And that I went into this album with the first track cut off my hands thinking he's going to use sound bites and disturbing ones at that in terrible places. I'm in for it. And then realizing that honestly that complaint is so minor comparatively to how much I love the rest of the record. This album is easily a 425 for me. It's not a 4 <clears throat> because it's not just that next level album. It does a little more. Chad, I will easily say, with the exception possibly of Steam Power Giraffe, Chad is one of the best scene setters we've ever had on the podcast. The only reason I would say Steam Power Giraffe is better is because they're a freaking vaudeville act. That's their job. <laughs> well, they were vaudeville. Set. Now they're Broadway. We we did it. Well, right. But the point is, is that their job is to set scenes. Hard to have a story without a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this, they it was a little vaguer, but not because that was a problem, but because there was an ethereal through line to this kind of floats in this direction, but there's connectors. So I really, really love that. Uh, uh, it's another case where. And these are unique and you don't really see them a lot where almost a lack of emotion conveys emotion and this album straight through from beginning to end absolutely did that with spikes of actual emotion here and there it's sort of the guy smiling at you kind of valley of the doll style and every once in a while the eyelid twitches just a little bit and you know something's definitely up mm. so I go last it's pretty interesting. I consider myself, I think amongst uh, us here, uh, especially with my musical background and whatnot, I'm probably one of the more analytical. Um, and yet, the funny thing about my experience with his 2005 album, Skeleton Connection, is that 
that album for me was I, I mean, obviously, I, I haven't sat down here and broken it up with the two of you, but I would imagine that if I were to, that if I were to rate that in a, in a way, I would probably bring it close to five, if not five. And it's for all of the most bizarre reasons. Because for me, I really never analyzed that album. To me, what is brilliant about that album is that it is, it is snapshots, and that theme doesn't really tie it together. It was a driving album for me, first and foremost. I loved that that album just to sort of cruise to, because I could zone out to all these different sides of his consciousness. Now, why am I telling this, this, this background story here? Is because I am coming at this with a little bit of a bias. I, I, I come at Chad Vangelin with an expectation of sporadic choices, of a little bit of craziness, a little bit of oddity, a little bit of darkness, but not so much darkness as in, honest to god, darkness, you know, the evil kind, but more like going down the rabbit hole, more like your, I suppose, you know, to be honest, I'm gonna throw in a little bit of psychedelia with this. Uh, another way I would put it is that I really prefer Chad's bizarreness to any measure of familiarity, and unfortunately I did get a lot of that in the middle portion of this album. Granted though, it's only a few. And then I gotta consider that an artist is not beholden to my expectations of what I want from him. And frankly, he still sort of met them almost uh, in every other track on this album, and then exceeded them in others. So really, this is a very diverse album for that exact reason. He's... he... this is the sign of a much more mature work. Again, I, I can't... I have no idea how old he was at the time. I believe right now he's in his upper 30s, so I guess that explains how old he was in, uh, in 2005. But with almost every artist, they mature. They want to do different things with their work. And he still seems to be just as odd. You both notice the same exact things. He has, he has his choices with his instruments, uh, his spin on those instruments, and the way he can kind of turn folk, which so easily can fall into patterns, the way he can turn that into something fresh, completely fresh. Granted, a lot of artists do this, but I've just never heard his own spin, and again, there's that voice of him, which, that, his vo that voice of his, which ties together his entire discography, and provides that, that sort of innocent fear that I think is there in almost every single track. And it is here in every single track in this album as well. And that even includes uh, the tracks that I somewhat uh, poorly refer to as the, um, the country reference tracks. But let's face it, they're still very powerful in their own right, and they won't, they won't affect others uh, negatively as they affect me. I'm coming at that from a pure discographical perspective. So that leaves me in a very, very strange place with this album. I, I really wasn't even sure what to rate it the second we started here, um, and I still wasn't sure what to rate it at the end, and it's only in the middle of this discussion now that I start to sort of figure out my place, and maybe also after your, um, after your wrap-ups yourself. I'm inclined to reach to for, toward uh, 4.25 like you did, Matt, because you seem to be uh, finding all the same things. But... I think, I think I have to lower it just a bit, but perhaps not as much as John, because there was no 
point on this album that I was bored by. Even the moments that were familiar, I was not bored during them. I was simply noting that they were familiar. So let's play this nice and even. I'm going to go somewhere in the middle and just say 4.15. Okay. So we're going to average out at 4.15 probably on Nah, 4.2. 4.2. I'm going to 4.2. There you go. If it was 4.15, we would have been averaging around 4.13 or something like that. I don't with think I've ever done a double decimal. <laughs> Let's not start now. With 4.2, we're going to average out at 4.15. I mean, a double decimal outside of like a nice even quarter. Like I was going to say, we're averaging done even now quarters because, before any of us did. Because he adjusted his rating. We're I don't care, Matt. Definitely 4.15. He really wants to math you. He wants to rain man us. Uh-oh. Um, no, no, in, in so just, this in is just a, definite... nice, a quicker summation here, I actually went through a few stages with this album. I went from being nostalgia, uh, nostalgic to his earlier work to being intrigued by the new stuff that he has to offer to being enthralled by the new stuff he has to offer to being calm again to being, let's face it, maybe just a smidgen board but only by virtue of the choices he made uh, which were odd to me and then to being intrigued again and then finally to being calm again. That's a very odd arc. And I still think that arc, that sort of almost defeatist ending, kind of aids the theme in itself. So we're doing some crazy things here. I think that's just where I have to land it. It's 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 probably more of an even four for me personally, but I, I'm I'm stepping out of myself to acknowledge what it has to offer and giving it the bump up. Well that actually takes me to an interesting thing and I think I'd rather focus on that than even go where I was thinking of going it sounds like you almost went through stages of grief with this album post-mortem which is kind of fascinating to me that you took an album that you were attached to that you enjoyed from an artist that you were attached to and enjoyed which we've all covered at some gain or another each of us have brought an album that we by an artist that we truly love and know Mm -hmm. and you went through stages and that's interesting to me. Almost like grieving the artist or the record, even though neither are dead. Well, because the record can't die. It's an object with sound on it. Green Day's dead. Long live Green Day. Well, this is my point. Like, <laughs> what, Just when you were talking about that, I was thinking about when I brought Eve 6 back on an episode. Episode. Come on, Steve. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Which Eve episode? 6? Oh, Eve 6. Episode 7. So episode, I was really hoping it was six. I remember even thinking that back then. Like, Eve six should be six. Six. <laughs> so Eve six, when I brought it on, I went through stages similarly. Like I was so excited about a brand new Eve six album, and then I was like, "Well, I really love their old stuff." And then I was like, "Well, actually, I really, I really got behind this new stuff," and ended up actually swaying your reviews in the process, going through these stages of grief up until the moment I reviewed the album. Why do you think you went through that kind of an arc with this album? Because you've never mentioned something like that before with artists we've done that you've been clearly a fan of. Like Asmitantes you've loved for a while. Why did you go through that with Chad Vangelin specifically? Is it because the artist is closer to your heart than a lot of the other artists had been? Well, I got it. I know exactly why. That, believe it or not, Skeleton Connection is one of the first albums that I ever swooned over front to back. I don't remember thinking that again until we did God Sticks back in episode 51. Fascinating. That's, uh, that's magical. 
Well, no, it's yeah. fascinating because that's the same exact connection I have to E6. I also know, by the way, that if I ever showed you uh, Scala Connection, I have a feeling you would say it's a hodgepodge of sounds yeah. and, and ideas. And again, I go back to that scrapbooking concept that is, is just... Dude, if it's more advanced than this, I'm going to need a scotch it's not, it's No, it's not, it's not so much that it's advanced. No, if anything, that's why this album was such a weird case, is because, frankly, it furthered his capabilities by all stretches with what he did with Frozen Paradise. It gave him a bracket. Whereas Skeleton Connection was not so much a bracket, and that's what I found brilliant about it, is that it was the lack of bracket, but a focus on pure musical art, raw power in one moment, and then utter, other uh, uh, sublimated um, un- sort of subliminal messages, you know, in, in other moments where it would get so deep and dark, and yet all the times... I would never, I would never describe any other song on that album as anything other than a ditty, and yet these were able to affect me in such a way that it both energized me and barely made me cry. And others, I'm so gonna need that scotch if you ever bring me that album. <laughs> that was that's, but I can't guarantee the same effect. <laughs> I really can't. I really can't. It's a it's a personal album for, me yeah, for that the, reason. But the thing I want to focus on, though the. the further explanation further explains why I think you went through these stages I think it's fascinating that the inspiration and this this idea you gleamed from the first album that was close to your heart is why I was comparing it to my experience with E6 possibly John's with heart crushing destroying Green Day um, it shows you where I, we are, where we're at with our music. Well, but, 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 no, no, no. Pantheon. I threw that album out. But but my point is, I think it's interesting that albums the because fir- Eve Six's first self titled record is the first album I listened cover to cover constantly. I listened to it so much that in my twenties I had to buy another copy because I destroyed it listening to it so much. I think it's interesting that you're so attached to that first record it made you experience this record completely differently than almost anything else we've ever reviewed. And I went through the same thing with something that was also equally important to my development musically and my 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 musical development as a non-musician. I imagine, curious. John, you have an album as well that did the same for you, no? I was... I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I think you're onto something here. Growing up and everybody knows my background, all the music I listened to as a kid, well, I don't know. remember... They, no, they do know. I've explained this before. <laughs> I the was, new listeners. <laughs> okay, new new listeners. I was raised on Southern Rock, Country Rock, Motown, Classic Rock, and lots of other... If it's rock, yes. More, please. Um, like, I, re- I actually... I don't remember the first time I ever heard it, but I distinctly remember the first time I think I understood Sgt. Pepper's. And I would have been probably about 10 years old, give or take. Um, My memory gets fuzzy around that time because of all the fun I had in college. But I remember distinctly hearing that album and really getting it for the first time. And it was a few years later, they started releasing the, uh, the anthologies. Like Beatles one or the 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 special cuts of the Beatles remakes or cutting room floor type of pieces. And I remember seeing that there was going to be a lot of Sgt. Pepper. I was like, oh, that's that's great. 
I get to hear more stuff from my favorite penultimate album growing up. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, these are not nearly as good because <laughs> they're different. And different in this case was scary. It was really disappointing, even though uh, as a whole, everything of those albums was really, really actually good. The kind of pared down versions of, of the music, the alternate phrasing or lyrics or styles of instruments. It was really interesting to get this sort of an insight. I just can't look at it as the same sort of light as as the penultimate because even though they're the same songs just played so differently, I had already built up my first love to such heights I, I, I could not accept a pale imitation. But it sounds like you eventually came around to the anthology and still enjoyed it. Oh, I still I like the anthology. Yes, it's just not. As but much I will. The I still, even nowadays, I will skip anything that was on Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, it's just a tick of mine, to be frank. Well, you make me want to sort of return to something there, especially since you noted Sgt. Pepper's. I, I kind of want to clarify what I said before about the being the, the sort of the first album uh, when I noted uh, Skele Connection. I mean, that's 2005. So you think, that, like, oh, that's sort of late in life to sort of stumble across an album, you know, that I like front to back. And when I think about Sgt. Pepper's, of sure, I grew up with Sgt. Pepper's. In, any, in, in a certain way, you could say that I was bred to like Sgt. Pepper's front to back, right? It, it, it was me. It was always me. I can't remember of a time that Sgt. Pepper's didn't exist in, in my musical knowledge. Same would go probably for an album like The Wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall. That's in the same exact boat. These are both albums that I love front to back, and yes, I have many childhood albums that I do love front to back. But a lot of times I also have to sort of say, you know, there's so much nostalgia there that it's not quite the same as when you discover an album that for, for one reason or another, you have connected to it in a way that probably no one else will necessarily connect to it. There's something sort of already written in, though, about Sgt. Pepper's. Papers have been done, articles have been written, the anthology was done. I mean, it's no big thing for me to come across uh, with S Sgt. Pepper and say, do you know what this means for me? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still a phenomenal album and in, in, in one of the best uh, ever made at the same point it's not the same as that personal connection. I'm also, you know, at that age, 2005, back there, I was looking for something really pushing music forward. And I saw Chad Vangelin as something uh, that I, I had never been done, in a sense, at that time. Uh, or at least borrowed from what it needed and then just pushed it further from there. So, yeah, it had a lot to do with that, and it also had to do with the fact that I was becoming a musician at that time. I was getting a lot more serious about what I was doing, and... Maybe it was inherent, but then again, maybe it wasn't. I want to sort of walk on the fringe with that because n that was an interesting case where I wasn't always connecting things that I listened to with what I was writing as a musician because I wasn't writing much back in 2005. I was still just a piano player. I was playing what I'd heard, and I wanted to really milk the stuff that I'd heard. And in a sense, just, just bury myself into it. That's the first time I started to get very, very analytical. Just a little uh, background story for a, a fellow podcaster who's now been doing this for two years. That's the birth of my analytical self, was sort of around that time, 2005, 2006, um, when I started to think about how things were formed from beginning to end, 
without just honing in on the parts that you really, really like, which up till then I was still doing. Even for cases like bands that I was already really, really into that I did discover myself, like the Decemberists. I was still finding my I was finding myself playing favorites with their tracks. I was finding myself honing in on on like a really amazing group of three and then kind of falling off like on, you know, track five and being like, yeah, it's okay. You know? Even still, I suppose in retrospect I might say that Castaways and Cutouts is probably an amazing album front to back, and that was their first, I believe. And yet just at the time I needed something even bolder than that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in a really strange middle ground with this, and I'm glad you brought it up. Well, it's also because, like, and again, because this is the parallel album. As someone who was never a musician, although I had aspirations at points here and there, um, but as someone who's more most mo- f- focused living through music, music is my lifeblood, music is something I connect with emotionally. Eve 6 came out, their very first record in the mid-90s, when I was in junior high school. And I was very depressed and kind of picked on. And it was Eve Six's self-titled album was an album of underdogs, about underdogs. You know, they were a brand new 90s band. They were a dime a dozen with Third Eye Blind and everything else. But their music was about, you know, kicking, kicking authority in the face, getting through, moving forward. And I emotionally connected to that album more than the first record I ever bought with my own money, three albums prior, which was the Space Jam soundtrack. Which I have a theory that that affected my musical development as well, but for different reasons. But uh, that's an article, I think. Yes, <laughs> but Eve Six, Eve Six is the first album I bought and went, oh, these these guys are like me. They're they're a little older. They're twenty somethings, but they're they're miserable and they have people who pick on them and they have you know girl problems and they have you know stuff that I could relate to emotionally and I really latched onto it. I actually discussed parts of it at length in my article I wrote for Crash Chords called How E6 Saved My Life. And I think that's why that album so attached close to me. While yours was for being analytical, and it really woke you up analytically, for me, even though it was junior high school, and it's also a little late to be musically developing, I think it's where I really got a sense of my own emotional connection to music. What does it say about me if I'm, if I'm coming from the same sort of place you are Matt and on one of my sort of formative years uh, picks, when when good news for people who love bad news was that for me. Because if anybody knows Modest Mouse, they're weird. Um, I think you just explained it. Oh, oh, oh! I get it. You're weird. Though I do remember from the opening, just the opening bars of those trumpets, just the of those trumpets. I I loved it. I, oh, I loved it. I remember going back to the older stuff and listening to the new stuff and going, why couldn't everything be good news for people who love bad news? Why can't everything be just like that album? Interesting. Yeah, and it's funny too. I mean, we all have those kind of expectations where, you know, the second you hear it, you want more of it. You instantaneously want more of it. You you won't compromise because of, of, of what it did to you in the first time. I, and I think that's, that's probably explains why you, why you swung the conversation around this way, because it was pretty clear that that was uh, where I was coming from uh, with this album here. By all rights, you're, you're right. This um, uh, Chad Vangelis' Shrink Dust, I think, is, is an excellent album. And really, when I think about it, it's really not even that far off the mark of what he does. It's just really that middle period where it started to wane. Um, 
it's it's something maybe that's a little indefinable. I, the closest I could get is just to say that it lost a little bit of its sporadic nature. Yeah. And it's funny that now that you're really making me think about this, I think uh, Skeleton Connection did more subconsciously to my influence as a musician or as a composer uh, than it ever could have done then. But it's doing it latently because yeah. now I'm sort of endeavoring to write things that have more of a sporadic nature while never straying so far that, you know, it, 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 one idea is divorced from the next. But just that exploration of, of, of scrapbooking ideas and see how they can connect on sort of more of a metaphysical level. Yeah, I think this is a nice touch tone to something I want to get more in depth in in the coming weeks. Maybe start a serial of talking about this. I've mentioned before on the podcast how it's very... You can be inspired by music, but it's not... Nobody listens to music the same way. I've said it tiresomely. And I think that... But you said it differently that time. Because you usually say everybody listens to music differently. So, <laughs> But I think this is a nice starting point to show that you can be inspired in unique ways by music. Like this idea that John just mentioned, which also gave, remind me of something up very briefly, that when he got good news for people who like bad news... Right? I love that album. He wanted more of it. He wanted to consume everything. I wanted exactly that album. That album. Over again. Whereas I went had the same experience with the third album by Korn, Follow the Leader. I was so <laughs> obsessed with that record... That day, I took the bus from high school to the mall and bought all of their other records, wow. not knowing any of their music because I loved Fall of the Leader so much. That was a mistake. Their first record holds up. But it was still a mistake. But the idea that you want music so much, it's almost an insatiable appetite like eating actual food that you just need to consume whatever you can get your hands on by that band. Mm. And, and this will lend into our discussion, I think, that we'll pick up next week of... What inspires you from the music you listen to from the point of an artist like Steve who actually composes music or from the position of me or John where we're not so much musicians but we are inspired by music in other places or just in life. interested to make this a part two discussion. Yeah. I, I think that's a, an excellent idea. But now to break the dripping with seriousness, let's go on to our fan mail. I mean spam mail. I mean fan mail. Huh. Pretty section of content. I just stumbled upon your site, and in accession to Capital to assert that I acquire actually enjoy to count your blog posts. Anyway, I'll be subscribing to your augment, and even I achievement. You access consistently, rapidly. Bye. Relevant website. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, that one was out there. <laughs> that was a lot of adverbs. We're going to just let that Forget hang the in the air. Forget the prepositions. That was just adverbs this time. I don't know what's going on here, man. <laughs> Acquire I, actually enjoyed account. I just like that <laughs> it couldn't be bothered to actually come up with the username. It was just a relevant website. Relevant website. I, I, I shit you not. I really, I, I really don't. Um, so, as we wrap up again, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I kind of really liked, actually, where this conversation went naturally. That was fun. Yes. Um, and do pick up next week as we get more in depth with the comp- with the topic of how music affects not only musicians but also non-musicians and in reg- both talk about it in regards to next week we're going to take another fan request they're actually starting coming more consistently i first want to upfront thank dave 
who recently submitted a fan, a fan request for a Tom Waits album, which we will get to probably next month. But we have a request layover from last month that a friend of mine, Kristen, had suggested. It's the latest from a band called Saliva. Um, the band Saliva was big in the 2000s. They had a lot of hits off their first record, some of which called Your Disease and Click Click Boom, which were big on the radio. Um, they have a brand new record that just came out about a month ago called Rise Up. They're known for their hard rock. The lead singer had a very melodic voice. We'll see if this album holds up to that. But she recommended it. She loved it and wanted us to check it out. So that's what we'll be doing next week. And look at this. We're getting people talking to us and they're getting feedback. People. Like actual people. Look at that. Um, of course, speaking to it actual people. It can happen to you too. Um, the sidebar on the website does have our Facebook, Tumblr, and YouTube. Please follow us there. We're putting out new content as frequently as we can. Um donate button still on the website isn't going anywhere we we still want to continue to bring in more content do more and bring more in um i'm actually working to start doing more frequent interviews to use as segments on the podcast or even outside of it with artists who are not in new york so um keep an ear eye and everything else out for that um but thank you for your support we're going to wrap up now um any other important points to make before we call it a night no only one thing Music is life. And And life life is is good. good.